This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host Petey Pob, and with me I have Mr. Jeff in Control Robinson. Hi. And Sean Abuse Puppy Morgan. It's this guy. Today's episode is going to be short and sweet. I've traveled every weekend this month. And I'm tired, and I want to talk about those travels. Pablo, it's July 1st. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Damn it. You're right. God damn it. It's even in my notes, too. Jeff, he's not wrong. He has traveled every single weekend this month. It's true. I've I've traveled today. It's true. I've I've traveled every day this month, technically. (laughs) Anyways, the reason why this episode is happening is because I have to do it every week. It's in my contract with Frontline Gaming. So we're going to talk about wow. the cool stuff. We're going to talk about the ATC list that just dropped. And luckily, we have a, an ATC veteran in Jeff Robinson. So he's going to talk ATC. He's going to give up all of his team strategies. So if you're in the ATC, you've been getting crushed by Team Happy every year. This is your chance to take out the top team at the tournament. Not this year. So listen up. <laughs> Oh, uh, Team Zero Comp is the top team because Team Happy dropped off. That's the joke. Anyways, well, eh, I, we'll talk off. about that later. There's a lot. There's a lot of contenders this year. Yeah. Also, we're going to talk about tournament traveling, and we're going to talk about what it's like to travel far to other events to deal with TOs who you've never dealt with before, to deal with rulings and terrain stuff that you've never dealt before. How to handle that? How to travel, fly on a plane, all that good stuff. I think combined between the three of us, we have. Lots and lots of miles put into 40k traveling, uh, especially Jeff and Sean. I'm, you know, I, I'm not a vet. I'm not a, a green person to traveling, but Jeff and Sean definitely have me beat in terms of traveling. So that's what it, we're going to talk about our Hawaii experience, and that's it. But before all that, this episode was brought to you by the Boise Cup that just happened this weekend. We'll definitely talk about that. Where I went four and one, which is okay, uh, and then. Frontline Gaming, of course, where you can get all your tabletop goodies and the beautiful, amazing patrons that support this channel. If you would like to support this channel, all you have to do is go to chaptertactics.patreon.com slash chaptertactics. Can I just say one thing, Pablo? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was a little uncomfortable, so can you please call it the Boise and Girlsy Cup? Because it's 2019. I don't know. The Boise and Girlsy Cup. Yeah, it's not just Boise. In Idaho. In Idaho and Ida Bro. And Ida's sister. Ida's sister, anyways. Well, it's already got Idaho. Yeah, Yeah. so Ida bro. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think he had it the first time. (laughs) Um, Every every month, 
we I give one lucky patron something cool for the month. Uh, this year, I, I've decided to give them a tournament survival kit swag bag thing. Uh, it's basically a bunch of stuff that I've gotten, cool stuff that I've gotten from tournaments and tournament winnings and kind of like prize support from the TOs. And I think it's pretty cool. So I put together, you get uh, one of the deployment dice from the Throne of War GT, which is the, a six-sided die with a deployment map on each facing in the die. So when you roll, instead of having to get your rule book out, and because both of you don't remember your rulebook and you might not even have your books, then you just roll the deployment die and that's the deployment you're playing. It's great. It has all the measurements on it. It's awesome. I'm also going to get you a Hammerhead Games template, 9-inch template for those deep strikers in your life. Uh, some contrast paints for some three-color minimum action when you need to travel on the go and you need to paint a model three colors, like if you have a green Caladius tank or something. So an ITC objective deck which is super cool, Throne of War. Uh, Sean has one as well. Um, yeah. I think it's by far the best thing. It's definitely, certainly kept me organized, but it basically it's a deck of cards that has all of the ITC missions on it, uh, the secondaries, cards for putting out what they, what units you pick for, like Kingslayer and stuff. It's really useful. So get it, you one of those. It also does have all the primary missions there as well. Yeah. Uh, so you can, like, you have, if you have the deck, you basically have everything you need for an ITC mission. Yeah, and if you put them in a sleeve binder, like like when you would put like your cards in and stuff, like a rare binder, mm-hmm. um, just put it in those sleeves, and then you can write on them on mark with marker, dry erase, or wet erase, uh, and then you can kind of keep track of your games that way. It's super useful. And then whatever else I can find lying around the store, that's what you get. And the winner for last month, that was last month's giveaway, the winner is Eleanor Byler. So congratulations, hey. Eleanor. You'll yeah. be getting that swag bag over in Australia. This month... For July, I'm going to be giving away one of those apocalypse attachments. Um, whichever one I can get my hand on, one of you lucky guy, one of you lucky guys or gals will be getting one. Thank so you. if you want to sign up, Patreon.com/slash/ChapterTactics, you can win one of those apocalypse attachment boxes. All right. Quick announcement, then we're going to get started. First off, Chapter Tactics is now going to be on Spotify and Google Play Music by the end of the week. Uh, a lot of you have been clamoring for it. Um, I don't do podcasts a lot so I, you know but i imagine spotify a lot of people have been asking for spotify and google play music so now chapter tactics will be more accessible to a wider range of people also we are now called the frontline gaming network we are no longer signals from the frontline on our feed so we're the frontline gaming network because there are four podcasts jeff and sean's is silent you have to be a special special member to download it but i guarantee you there's four there's signals from the frontline stat center 40k stat center chapter tactics and the jeff and sean show also signals from down under is that that fall under the label down. also <laughs> no there's, yeah, there's, that, a, there's a couple hidden ones in there yeah there, there's an age of sigmar one in there no too, but that no one's dead. no like for for real like that is an actual podcast pablo oh yeah you're right it's sigmar. yeah pablo <laughs> it's, I, I didn't man you just I, hurt I their that feelings on, hard Jesus Christ, i didn't know pablo. that was on the frontline gaming network i thought it was just the, the three i think think it is they even let australians on there is what i understand oh, they no. recently recognized australia as an actual country and <laughs> some of those guys have strung together enough cans and, and lines to make internet so they're gonna let them do it there you go <laughs> uh and then uh finally one patreon announcement uh a vip spot opened up so if you'd like to be a patreon vip you get access to awesome discounts you get one free thing a month you get access to me uh, which is not that good, I'll be honest. But you also get access to contacts. I can get you in contact with all sorts of tournament organizers, pro players, all that stuff. Um, so one VIP spot open up, check it out, and see if it, it works for you. 
Okay. I think you're uh, two advertisements away from signals from the front line level of advertisements. So. Well, you know, we got to make climbing this... a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just got to get all that stuff out of the way. It's in my contract, Jeff. You and Reese, man. <laughs> so, on this day, 1867, three North American British colonies banded together, decided they wanted to start their independence from Britain. Was and birth 40K's premier tournament reporting podcast. So, today's Canada Day. July 1st, and 150 years later, the Canadians finally did it. They created a tournament podcast befitting of Canada, and we're going to celebrate by not talking about any Canadian tournaments and not having having any Canadians on the show like true Americans. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And any, what better way to do that than talk about the American team championships? So let's go ahead and take it away. So if you don't know, the lists are online somewhere. I, I had a hard time finding them, luckily. <laughs> Someone did send them to me, and I'll put them in the show notes on FrontlineGaming.org if you guys want to look at those. So the lists were announced. Uh, Jeff is Jeff is on Team Zero Comp, and it, it, I was looking at the teams, and, and obviously Team Happy's gone. Um, and a lot of the teams have like two or three really good players, but other than Team Zero Comp, I don't think any of the teams are like super stacked. Right. Well, so we'll we'll talk because because by definition, but when I define super stack, like Team Zero Comp has Junior, uh, GT winner, really amazing player Ray, another really really good player Jeff, Frankie, who you know, world's best, world's best greatest four K player, and James Carmona, another player that I would never sleep world's on. World's angriest, the world's angriest player. Um, but you know, between them, between the the five of you, you, you'll maybe put together three or two losses at a tournament if you all go to the same tournament. I so real quick on Team Zero Comp. I think it's it's a cool thing. I want people to kind of notice the layers of strategy we have going here. So Frankie and I, and then it's Ray Ahu Manahara, James Carmona, hmm? and then Junior Alahafaloshueta, which is <laughs> so we're playing the long con here. Like America is becoming more and more Spanish speaking, and as we push forward, some of these teams are going to fall off Beast Coast. They can't fucking speak Spanish. None of those guys speak Spanish. <laughs> that's Philip true. Philip Redonkulis is the most ginger guy I've ever seen in my entire life. He maybe speaks Irish, but that's about it. <laughs> 2025, Team Zero Comp is ahead of the curve. When this, when when 95% of the country is speaking Spanish, guess which team's going to be at the forefront of all of that? Crushing it. Team Zero Comp. That's right. It's the long con. There'll be Team Zero English next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, the scene will be. I mean, we'll be... <laughs> we'll be team forty uh, percent English. Ooh, there you go. It's um, actually, so Jeff, I I have it on good authority that uh, Trump is going to require you to be one hundred percent English as of next year. Okay, so. then I'm happy Ooh. to announce Team Zero Comp will be relocating to Mexico next year, <laughs> and uh, we're pretty excited about it. Honestly, the weather's great. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have been saying it's, it's pretty nice. Yeah, First some Mexican good ETC people. team. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jeff, um, so. I don't want you to give away too many secrets. I don't know, actually. I don't know if you care. Well, lists are up. I mean, uh, that's so, true. Yeah. So, um, go and go and talk a little bit about like why you chose these lists. Uh, you you obviously have a lot of good players to choose from. Yeah. Uh, why why did you go with these specific four other players and you? Um, and then just you know kind of briefly go over the lists and what you guys are bringing. So, Team Zero Comp, uh, joking aside, actually has a lot of really top notch players, and a lot of them could very well have been on this roster and kind of wanted to. So it's it's a little bit. It uh, feels baddie because with only five guys, there's just inevitably on a larger team like this going to be guys where we're like, hey, sorry, we kind of already put together this team. So I do want to give a shout out to people like uh, Ben Cromwell, 
Reese was on the original roster, but he kind of bowed out just because he's so busy with business stuff that he didn't feel like he could um, deliver and didn't want kind of the, you know, the pressure of of not holding up the team. But um, I wish we could take everyone, as I guess the point I'm trying to say. So the kind of first thing we do is, and this is just where Warhammer's at right now, but with a team tournament like this, it's a pretty big commitment, you know, well in advance. So we kind of had to be like, okay, who wants to go? And who will go, right? Like, because there's going to be people who are like, I'll go. And then like three weeks before, they're like, yeah, never mind. You're like, what? <laughs> so you can't, <laughs> you can't really do that. So you have to find really dedicated people. And all these guys are traveled, super committed, um, really awesome Warhammer players, which, you know, Pablo, thank you for the nice introduction with that. But a lot of the, the people listening probably know these guys because they've competed around. Um, and that was pretty much it. We're all just good friends. We're all competitors. And I knew that this team would show up and, and go. And I'm actually skipping a WCS stop, which is my main gig, StarCraft, um, to go do this. Because last year, I was in Spain the exact same weekend. There's just a WCS stop on this weekend every year, unfortunately. But this year, I was like, nope, got to go back. Um, and as far as lists go, we have a little bit of a different philosophy than I think a lot of other teams. Because a lot of other teams really kind of adhere to the ETC philosophy of like... Skew lists? Yeah, skew lists. Having a shield team or list, having an all-out aggression one, really kind of going for the pairings. And I think my philosophy is not that I know better than everybody else type of thing, but it's more of a, like, I'd rather have five guys super comfortable, um, super confident in their lists. And obviously, each guy and each list, just in Warhammer right now anyways, has a matchup they'd kind of like to avoid. And certainly at the ATC one of the ideas is that there's more opportunities for you to have to face something you, you don't want to face. Um, but I feel like when everyone takes skew lists, that kind of raises that possibility. And it kind of creates um, pretty radical variance in your results. So we have five lists that are very much so more all takers type lists. And they're the armies and lists that we've all been playing for, for most of the year. So Ray is doing a pseudo flyer spam Eldar list. Junior is taking his three knights and guard list, which he pretty much exclusively runs. And then Frankie has finally found Frankie has found his way with Gene Sir Colt, guys. In seventh edition, he was a terror. Eighth edition, Frankie's been uh, a bit of a, a doe, a little bit of a, a fawn, if you will, kind of a a young, supple deer, just kind of making his way through the forest, hoping hoping you don't see it. But with Gene Sir Colt, he's got some teeth. So he's confident and happy with that. And then James is running his chaos stuff. And I'm basically taking um, my BAO list, but minus the guard, because Junior has that. And instead, I put the um, execution force in there. And what else? I think a couple. That's about it, though, I think. Oh, a shield captain on a bike. Yeah, I was going to say, you. Yeah. I think you had another character. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yep. So, so one thing, and, and I think it's safe to say that this is like Team Zero Comp's thing, right? Because this is the third year you guys are you guys have kind of adopted this philosophy. And I remember the first year, the the epic year that you guys had with um yeah with Reese and and you guys you know tied Team Happy, but technically beat them by like two points, but in ATC terms tied or something like that, or maybe you you I don't know something. We like lost that. to them. We lost, lost to them on the top table. Yeah. Okay. But it was, it was close, close to your point. It's very close, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember, I remember all of you thinking like, like yeah, we're just going to bring the list that we're comfortable with, um, and then just not skew at all, not try to play the numbers yeah. game. 
And uh, it's been for Team Zero Comp, it's been working really well so far. So I'm excited to see how you guys do this year. Yeah. And I just have to say for the ATC, it's it is still to this day. I only went um, the one year, two years ago. It is the most fun tournament I've ever been to. And I think a large part of that is because I'm really lucky to have a team full of my, my you know, some of my best buds in the whole world. Um, but I think another big part of that, too, was the copious amounts of grease and cheese they serve in that state uh, <laughs> riled up Reese's stomach. And he became Papa Nurgle on that trip. And he farted and <laughs> pooped more than I think any human's ever done. And it just made for a wild and crazy ride. So it was just real fun. But it's a great tournament. I'm really looking forward to it. It's got its little charm. It's it's pretty silly. Uh, even the list thing, people are like, I want to look at the list. And there's already like a bajillion weird things with the list. Like some people just didn't put points in there. So there's a bunch of lists mm. with just no points. And people are like, wow, that's cool. And so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it's that's the ATC at the same time, right? Because it's, it's in the dirty south and it's people from all over the country. The east coast comes, several teams from the west coast, the middle of the country, of course, and the south. They all show up there. It's It's a real nice melting pot of the different Warhammer metas and, and communities. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. It's just going to be a great tournament. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, so let's kind of talk about some of the other lists that, that I had kind of my eye on or some of the other teams I had my eye on. Yeah. Um, the first one is best in faction podcast, which I, I think is probably the second most loaded team. Um, although, you know, there's definitely some lists that are, that are match them or, you know, if not beat them, it's definitely an opinion, not a fact. Um, so they're, they're running, uh, they've got Chuck Arnett, Colin Sherman, Jim Vessel, John Paul Moet, and Michael Tempe. Uh, Colin Sherman, Jim Vessel, and JP are all really good seasons. But Michael Tempe as well. Uh, and Chuck Arnett's no slouch either. So they're, they're all really good players. And they're all playing. Uh, they're all playing. You know, lists and factions that they're familiar with, right? Jim Vessel, obviously, an amazing, amazing chaos player. He doesn't really need an introduction. But Chuck Arnett's a really good orc player. And he's running a good orc list. Um. So so, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about this list. And then kind of get your Sean and Jeff's kind of like feedback on like how you would maybe tackle this or, or what kind of synergies you see. So check on it has an orc list. Um, it's basically a billion boys, uh, three big mechs with shock attack guns, which is very common. Some def copters, some big mech, some big guns with uh, lavas, which I, I don't, I yeah. don't know what lavas do. They're mortars. Uh, and then um, some more evil sons boys as well. So it's, it's about, it's about a hundred, hundred and fifty boys, yeah. maybe all all together. Once once you add them all up in some grots, uh, and that's it. That's that's the list. It's Death skulls, uh, and then some evil sons boys with a war bo- evil sons war boss and make armor, which you have to watch out for. Yeah. Uh, uh it, interesting little fact that I learned this weekend because I actually ended up playing Chuck in my fourth round. I think fourth round. Um. The Warboss and Mega Armor, his uh, Advance and Charge aura works on boys of any clan, not oh. just the clan he's from. Oh, shit. Um, it, not a really good reason why. That's just he's from the Index, and it was kind oh, of a mess God. back then. <laughs> so he's just advancing and charging with 150 boys turn one. Um, I'm, I'm not sure he, if he always necessarily plays it that aggressively, but he certainly has the possibility to push forward with a lot of them. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but part of the point of having the evil sons mixed in there is that he has units that he can to jump around uh, and who are much more likely to make that charge off the nine inch than the death skulls would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and 
<clears throat> we have Colin Sherman's Gene Circle list, uh, a list I had the pleasure of playing. Actually, the the not it's a very nasty list. Um, so not quite the pleasure of playing uh, on at Boise as well in the fifth round. I did win by two points, um, though I I pulled it out by the skin of my teeth. Um, so he's running three big units of acolytes, two with heavy rock saws, and then the biggest unit has nineteen hand flamers. Uh, and and he's really really good with these acolytes. Uh, he basically he basically beta charges with them, wraps whatever he can, and then the hand flamers can wrap something and just keep hand flamering it to death, as my poor wyvern mm-hmm. found out. Yeah. So, you know, you've got like 19 D6 hand flamers shooting into a wyvern. Uh, it, it will die really fast. Um, uh, he's got a Klamavis, a Kellermorph, uh, a Nexus, a Patriarch, and an I- I- Icon Ward all in that detachment as well, and that's a Cult of the Forearmed Emperor. And then he's got one unit of ab- Aberrants uh, and a Another Cult of the Forearm, Emperor Battalion, with a Patriarch of Primus, three units of Brood Brothers, one fifteen, two ten, and a three tank commanders and a Supreme Command detachment. And that is the list. I've got a funny story about that game, but it is it is an absolutely nasty list. Um those accolades are no joke. Uh Jeff so the Colin and I were kind of talking about this revolving door um at Gene Steeler Colt, right? Yeah. So I, I roomed with Mike Snyder, who's a really good Gene Steeler Colt player. Uh, and then Mike was talking with Colin and Nick Nadavati, and I guess there's like three or f- three, two or three Gene Sir cult lists that just keep like going around, like they they just keep going back and forth. There's like Muscle Beach, there's the the billion bodies with the vultures, and then there's this kind of Colin Sherman like bu- list with the acolytes that Mike Snyder also run- kind of runs, and the three tank commanders, right? And so that those are kind of like the lists. So you you have the most Gene Sir cult experience out, I think, out of the three of us. Um, what's your personal preference and what's kind of like the, the weaknesses that, you know, like what are the kind of the pros and cons of taking all three of them? Um, I like that there's variance. I think that's a really fun and exciting time. Sometimes you can tell a codex is, I would say not as interesting when there seems to be just kind of one build that comes out of it. And then there's not a whole lot of iteration off of that. Um, fortunately the, the more recent eighth edition codexes have all been pretty diverse, uh, Mm -hmm. even, some of the kind of funny standouts like orc codexes still have a lot of commonalities between them, but still we're seeing different cultures. And I know it's a little bit old news, but like the shock attack gun was a bit of a revelation when that codex first came out. People weren't really mm. pimping the the shock attack gun, the relic one at least. And now it seems to be obviously a absolute mainstay. Um, I guess when you're looking at that gene store cult list, the same kind of problems come forward where it's going to be that durability so i think one of the things that a lot of people do wrong is they go a little bit into autopilot in eighth edition and this is on both sides of the gene Cult matchup so they'll be like well turn two here comes everything you know and if they make their charges and they and they get their wraps and they do their damage then cool they're probably going to win that game but if they fail a couple of charges and one unit gimps in there and doesn't really hold down or do the damage they need to or um, they just put everything on the table, and it's just there. And maybe they do kill a couple of units, but then all of a sudden it turns out Gene Circle units aren't the most durable. Even Aberrants can go down quite quickly, depending on what they're facing. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And then the, the same is true in reverse. Like, a lot of opponents' Gene Circles will be like, let's do it. Let's scrum in the middle of the table, just go back and forth and fight. And you can win that game as well, but you could also just RNG lose. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of times if you strategize a little bit better... Uh, against Gene Stewart Colt in the sense that like you're planning for the late game where their units really start to fall off. A couple of patriarchs die. Well, guess what? Leadership becomes an issue for Gene Stewart Colt, which is kind of weird for them. Um, holding objectives. It's just a bunch of guardsmen on objectives for the most part, right? You're not. If it is the tank commander list, it's a little bit better. 
But even those are high priority targets, and they're less efficient than the uh, Imperium version of, of the same unit. So they're scary, but not more scary than what you are probably facing on the other four games you played, because it's one of the most common units in the game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit more, it, it changes the pace of how you want to play, which for some people is weird, because they just kind of go into 8th edition autopilot. A lot of people try to seize against Gene Cult, or they must go first and stuff like that. And that's kind of a big trap, too, because there's just not as much interesting things on the table to shoot. So going second is a lot of times a better idea against Gene Cult, but not a lot of people think that way. Um, because, again, them sitting on an objective is really hard for them, whereas them taking an objective away from you and then scoring at the bottom is much easier and better for them. So you kind of have to look at it through the ITC lens and then just change the pace of the game for yourself. Because in a lot of other matchups... You do want to get that damage out. You do want to put everything on the table. And you do want to reduce their assets as fast as possible because their kill power is so great um, and their endurance or their tenacity maybe kind of matches that. But Gene Sir Colt doesn't, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> and then uh, Jim Vessel, Jim Vessel's, uh, whose army was stolen, by the way, is unfortunate. Hopefully yeah. that works out for him. Um, so Jim's kind of running uh, a hybrid of his list and... Th- uh, the purge detachment. So he kind of he took out the pink horrors. He took out the corn demon prince. Uh, he took out uh, I think a unit of plague bears or troops or a bunch of bodies. Um, but he's basically sacrificed bodies for two hellforged Jaredeo dreadnoughts and a hellforged rapier battery for in a purge detachment, which I don't think is a bad trade off. Um, so he's running I think less of a skew list than what his his other list was. It it, it looks kind of like a more balanced list because he has shooting. He still has the psychic powers. He still has enough bodies in the sixty plague bearers, and he still has the the demon the two demon princes of Zinch to run around and and beat things up in close combat. So um, it it looks like a much more balanced list than than what he's been running previously. Um, Jeff, you played him, so how do you think his list would do with the Hellforged Zeradeo Dreadnoughts? Um, well, let me ask you kind what of you're saying here for a second because you're saying you said skew and I thought you misspoke, but then you also said this is more of a balanced list. What oh, do you mean? So, so what I meant was what, what I said was his, his old list, so his previous list, the, the one that he played against you was more skewed than this list. Well, I know I, I get that. I mean, what do you mean it's skew? Why do you think it's skew? Well, I just think that it has a lot more bodies in it and it only has one shooting thing. And I get that he has smites, but he doesn't have a lot of long range shooting in it beyond the single dreadnought. So, it's obviously a very good list, and he knows how to play it. And I'm not saying it's bad, like like it has a lot of bad matchups, like a like a skew list would normally have. But it, it's it's very one dimension. It felt like a very one dimensional list versus whereas this list you have the purge attachment in the shooting, so you add that extra element, and you're not losing the rest of the element in the purge. And I might be completely wrong. This is just I are, how I I feel at face value. I love you. So you say it with confidence, and I like that part about you. But this can be a good discussion. I'll see if Sean agrees with me. But I actually think. Uh, that is not at all. His previous list was not a skew list at all. It was. It did not have bad matchups for the most part. I mean, yeah, I th- he would tell you that like an, a, ba- a bad matchup exists or something like that. But he's not. His his list didn't play to avoid this one certain thing, and if it ever faced that, it would just auto die. A wall of bodies with strong psychers behind it smiting, and then the dreadnought with long range anti troop but also anti armor, and then the ability to deep strike and wrap things and stuff like that. It was a very. It was cool. It was a very basic list that. Was pretty strong in just about all matchups, and across all his tournament success, he faced everything from Eldar flyers to orcs to Gene Circle to you know everything. So I thought it was pretty cool. Um, to your mm-hmm. point, though, with this list, it is different, and I haven't heard him speak about it. Um, I personally, and I'm not going to say that I know better than him, just just at first glance, I don't like the list as much. Uh, it feels like a jack of all trades, master of none situation, where like the shooting 
yes, one of those guys can shoot into combat, but none of the shooting is so devastating that it's like, well, what he does, he wraps with plagues, and then here comes the, the frickin' indirect fire, or here comes the dreadnought. Like, that's something Don Hoosen did, but he, he went all in on that concept, and that, to me, uh, and Don would probably disagree with this, but he disagrees with a lot of things I say, would be more of a skew list to me, because his concept was if he can shoot the shit out of you, then he's going to win, right? And it obviously has some durability, and it's not just that simple. But he ran into some bad matchups and just kind of kind of lost. And it wasn't because Don's not a good general. It's just because he kind of hit the matchup that is tough for him. Hmm. And that, to me, is more of a skew list. Whereas this can have bad matchups, but I feel like the concept of Plague Bearers with characters behind it is pretty darn good against just about absolutely everything. Okay. Yeah, I I think I would tend to lean towards where Jeff is on this. Um, I think the what you're what you may be misunderstanding a little bit, Pablo, is there's a difference between a skew list, which is typically a list that um, has some very good matchups and some very bad matchups, um, as compared to a list that does not play in certain parts of the game. Jim's list, his old list, basically didn't have a shooting phase, um, which obviously could be a disadvantage, but it was not necessarily skewed. It was still designed to take all comers and have decent matchups against basically everything. It's just that the way it achieved that did not really utilize the shooting phase at all. Yeah, that's Um, fair. That said... I might like his new list more. I'm not sure. I would I would have to spend more time looking at it and kind of like talking with him and getting a better feel for it. I did definitely feel like the lack of shooting in his old list could mm. be very problematic in some games. Um, he probably but, felt that too. That's why he changed it, I guess, you know. Yeah, um, but that said, like, it's it's all about making trade-offs and deciding what it is you expect to face and what it is you think you're going to have to deal with. Um, the, Let's get it back on here, Pablo. I'd love to hear his thoughts. Yeah, it's Yo, I, absolutely I think interesting. Well, and I suspect that uh, uh, Best in Faction may have him on to talk about the list again. Uh, Just tell him the, the podcast future, starts so. at like 5 p.m. and then he'll show up at about 7 p.m. when we start. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just tell him well, he gets a discount to some vegan restaurant in his area. I don't know. <laughs> like he'll, he'll show up. Anyways, uh, JP Moet is playing Eldar. He's playing actually a mixed Eldar list. Uh, he's It's an old-fashioned list in the sense that it's Dark Eldar and Eldar. And it's mm-hmm. uh, basically an Eldar detachment with Autark Skyrunner, Farshir Skyrunner. It's a Lytok with Storm Sword and Guardians, uh, Wave Serpents, and then two Crimson Hunter Exarchs and a Hemlock Wraith Fighter. So it's mm-hmm. a Flyer Spam list, surprise. Uh, but his Dark Eldar list, is, Dark Eldar side, is three Ravagers and an Archon, and then two Razorwing Jet Fighters. Oh, no, so that's, it is, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's five yeah, so that, yeah, yeah, it's five Flyers. So, but it, it that's kind of like the more, more of the old-fashioned list that you saw w- when... Uh, the Ravagers could take advantage of the of the Doom and Jinx and all that from the Farseers. So obviously, they can't anymore. Did you say he yeah. has Wave Serpents too? He has two Wave yeah. Serpents. Yeah, this is, it's a good list. Holy cow! It's, yeah, it's a good list. A lot of shooting. the The big difference here is that JP has gone basically all in on the firepower plan. Um, he has very little on the ground, and most of it is not that durable. Uh, you know, the wave serpents are, but he only has two of them, and it's not that hard to kill two wave serpents. Um, so he really is banking on, I am going to shoot every possible thing you have that could threaten me to death, 
and it's never going to be an issue on whether I get tabled. You just you won't have anything to do it with. Yeah, yeah, it's it's still a very good list. Um, I I don't I I really you know it it has a lot of really good matchups. Um, but obviously it's it's a very clearly an attacker list where where it goes into a list and hopefully yeah no it knows it can just shoot out and then just beat it up. Uh, and yeah. then finally, Michael Timpe is running um, the, I don't want to say the standard Necron list, but he's got all the usual suspects. He's got three Doom Sights, uh, Sawtech, uh, and then, and that's a one detachment, and then the a Spearhead with Nihilak, a Cryptek, a Canoptic Scarabs unit, a large Canoptic Scarabs unit, which is kind of strange, and then one large unit of Tomb Blades, mm-hmm. uh, and then three Doomsday Arcs in that same detachment, and then a Super Heavy Auxiliary Detachment with a Tesseract Vault. And yeah, it. this it's definitely got some unusual facets to it. Like it's using some of the the kind of like usual stuff, the the doomsday arcs, the doom sites, and whatnot. Uh, but it's also got some sort of unusual inclusions. The scarabs are actually, uh, if if anyone is familiar with them, they make one. They're a really good screening unit, arguably one of the better screening units in the game, uh, because they are fairly durable with a bunch of wounds each, um, and they fly and move very quickly. Uh, mm. So they can't be wrapped. They're big bases, so you can kind of like spread them out in a big line and occupy a lot of space. And they're relatively cheap, and uh, you know can also do double duty in like sneaking around and being obnoxious in games where you don't need to actually use them to screen. So, so do you think Michael Timpy goes into like Gene Steeler Colt with this list and just like kills everyone with the Tomb Blades and the the mm. the giant? Well, I I would tell you. One of the first observations to make with this is these are all lists these guys have been playing. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yep. Jim absolutely took that list to a tournament recently, and, and maybe part of that, again, it'd be cool to hear from them, is in preparation for the ATC, because people take this very, very serious. Winning the ATC is a huge deal, or, or at least just doing well there. Mm-hmm. But Michael Timpy's been playing that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck's been playing that list. Like These are all the lists they've been playing. So it's very similar to the philosophy of my own team. Yeah. Um, which okay. means, and the reason I cut you off, sorry, is uh, Timpy's not there to specialize against Gene Circle, but it is fun, and I prefer this style, because you will face teams that A, have all takers lists, but also you'll face teams where they're like, well, shit, I don't want to face orcs with my, you know, Eldar Flyers, because that's just tough, um, or can be tough, rather, uh, mm-hmm. if they go first and they get their shock attack and go ham in and stuff like that. So, yeah, let's throw Tempe at them or something like that. So that that's where that strategy comes in. All right. Uh, yeah. And- and I mean, they explicitly said as much on the podcast is like they know that Necrons are not the ideal fifth player, but Michael likes playing Necrons. Necrons are not actually that bad of an army. Um, they can do extremely powerful things against certain kinds of lists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if you've never seen though, the, the Tesla just go like full ham on a unit of orcs, it's like those Tomb Blades will wipe out a unit of orcs every turn. Uh, yeah. And the, the doomsday, the doom sites. If anyone's ever seen them pop off their like full stratagem nonsense uh, against armies that rely on like bubbling up with a bunch of characters and everything, they'll just destroy them completely. Which can be orcs, right? Their whole army is yeah. like, yep. in the orcs. same cluster. Um, you know, if you have like the triple shotgun all sitting in one little bubble, and you're assuming it's like, wow, I got all these grots in front of them, they're safe. It's like mm, you're actually not. Um, or like a Guillemin army uh, that sure. is re- basically required to sit in that bubble in order to function properly, and you just drop the bomb on them. It's like, okay, all your all your vehicles and Guillemin are taking like 3d3 mortal wounds each. Um, they can be really punishing. 
Uh, yeah. Now, one thing I kind of find kind of find interesting, and then this might be Pablo ignorance coming out again, is that I, I do like that they subscribe to the same philosophy of play what you know, play the factions that you know. But these lists, uh, with the exception of Jim Vessel's list, um, it, they do feel a little more uh, like they're subscribing to the ETC style, where they're going to a little bit more extremes. You know, Chuck's running 150 boys. JP's got all that shooting, no ground presence. Michael Tempe does have a uh, Tesseract Vault and two, like a large unit of Tomb Blades, and then two like spamming, you know, three Doom size, three Doomsday arcs. Um, yeah. So they do feel more spammy and more ETC style. Um, whereas I feel like Team Zero Comps lists are basically what they've been running all, you know, all year. These more balanced lists. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, say that, but Frankie has forty-five. <laughs> it's true. Fra- yeah. Well, Frankie's Frankie's <laughs> list has got forty-five bikes. That's that's true. Yeah. And Frankie also, also hasn't been playing as that list as much as the rest of you guys have also it is worth pointing out i don't know about michael's list because i haven't actually been keeping tabs on what he's been running but that is uh you know using a lot of the the common stuff the tesseract vault aside yeah um but uh chuck's list is literally the list he brought to boise cup yeah yeah um, and- and and Colin, so, Colin's yeah. list is also the same list, literally bought the Boise Cup. So yeah. I wonder if if after ATC, I wonder if they'll change up their list to um, be a little, you know. I know Chuck see is see where they change um, up their list. Although that's not because he doesn't like the performance of the list; it's because uh, moving 150 orcs around the table every round yeah. is Oof. devastating to your body. Yeah, and I, I know Colin. I know Colin as well as is interested in trying new stuff as well after after the yeah. Boise yeah. after talking to Boise. So we'll see. We'll see which which uh, plays out. I would love to see Team Zero Combat Best in Faction play. Um, I think that would be a really great I game, love them. They're great really guys. great team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and I think that's honestly like you you say like you know these are all the factions they play, but they also sort of intentionally recruited a a cadre of players that do have the the factions that presumably they thought would do the best, um, yeah. and were already the factions those people played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting Jim Vessel on your team is, it's, is that's uh, a pretty big poll. That's a good that's a good number one draft pick. Yeah. <laughs> um so let's kinda talk about I want to talk about Beast Coast now, because Jeff said something that um that I, I kinda wish Team Zero Comp did this year, uh, in that he wished that he could bring more players from Team Zero Comp mm-hmm. uh to the ATC and Beast Coast as three teams at the at ATC, and I think all of them have yeah, really good players. On that though, they're not Beast Coast, they're Slut Coast. Like they, they it's <laughs> Phil Radonkis is like he's like ahead of the curve or something. There's gonna come a year where there's like draft for Warhammer players and there's like free agency and all this cool stuff, but Phil's already doing that. He's just doing it with like bags of Doritos and kind words and stuff like that, so I'm well, on to you, Phil. I know I know your game here. This is that's insane. bold words for someone from Team Zero Comp who I recall at one point exceeded thirty people. And then I became captain, and all of a sudden we're at like ten. By the way, so that was not yeah, my yeah. mistake. <laughs> <laughs> he created the. It is true though, but it's calling. funny because and they're so funny too. Because I'm like, I've been captain for a few years now, but uh, when I came on, I was like, all right, guys, listen, because because we were having problems. The team was too big, so like the team yeah. identity was kind of gone, and people were like, I don't feel like we're a team. So it actually really hurt us, which is kind of silly because it's it's a team Warhammer. But anyways, uh, so we traded down. No, it's a legitimate concern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was. The team was dying, basically, because it was too big. Mm-hmm. So he came in, trimmed it down. Uh, but it's just so funny, because I was like, all right, listen, I'm going to be in charge of recruiting, and it's going to be a lot more selective. And they're like, okay. And they're like, but my friend Ray here is really good. Can we get him on? I'm like, all right, <laughs> fine. And they're like, okay, cool. And they're like, you know, Junior's been doing really well, and he's really, he's our friend, too. Can you come out? I'm like, yes. And 
they did it like four <laughs> more times. Like, all right, listen, that's it. We're done. We... <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're not wrong. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so, so I, I do want to talk about the three Beast Coast lists, not not exclusively like we talked about Best in Faction. So their 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 primary li- the primary team Beast Coast Prime Alpha. Uh, yeah. yeah, Nick Nadavati, Tony Kopak, Werner Born, uh, Luke Riabowal, who I'm sure I've, I've that's exactly how you heard. say his name. Yeah, sure, I'm sure I got the name right, and uh, I'm sure I've seen him around. Unfortunately, um, I do not know who he is at the present wow. moment. Although I'm sure if I've met him before or something. Sorry, Jesus Luke. Christ, yeah. Although I'm sure you're an amazing player when, you know, Nick Donavati, Tony Kopak, Warner Born, and Brad Nichols want you on their team. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure you're a really great player. Uh, and then uh, Brad Nichols, obviously, running Tau. This is a, an all-star team. Really, really good team. Uh, and then their Chaperones team, which is their their B team, has uh, Andrew Gagno, Matt Chuckman, uh, Tyler DeVries, three really good players, and then Phil Rotokanakis and Sam Lucidity. It's Rhododonkus. Rhododonkulus. Rhododonkus. Rhododonkus. Yeah. Um. So you know, still three, still three really good players, and Matt, Andrew, and Tyler, and then Phil and Sam aren't aren't um. They're <laughs> veterans. They they know what's going on. Why are you calling people out when you don't need to, Pablo? It's not. I'm just, just I'm saying. Just saying Pablo is the master of the know, backhanded like, compliment. I'm not, three I'm not, really good players and then two. So I'm, you not know, veterans, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna be like, oh wow. yeah. Phil, Phil is lighting. I, listen, I, I don't. I don't call myself the best player in the world. I, I, I got to be honest. Period. But the the point is, is, is Phil and Sam are, aren't lighting up. You know, the ITC top ten. Yeah, it's just there. You know. So, anyways, still a good team. Still, still really good players on the team. The point is, this entire thing is, is their their D team has Campanero, Jack Harkster, Jim Stanley, Justin Cook, and Sasha Edelkraut. So they've got they brought, they brought three really good quality teams. To the ATC, and then um, they have a fourth team. So it, you know, it's something I think maybe Team Zero Comp could do in the future. Uh, it's kind of cool to see a team like that do that. You know, where they bring four teams that that can be serious contenders. It's cool they have that many people that want to play Warhammer at that low. I mean, the other yeah. thing too is they're all East Coast guys, so the trip there is like a couple hundred bucks. Yep, mm-hmm. it's a bigger deal for Team Zero Comp, which is all West Coast. So it's yeah, a little yeah, bit I... different of an animal, but we are flying into Atlanta and then renting a car. And then staying at a hmm. hotel that may or may not service prostitutes as well. Not because we're there, but just because that's the hotel system as we understand it. But <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other thing that's kind of crazy about that is that when you get that many players, you know, you have to put them, you have to balance them in their factions. Because not everyone plays every single army, right? Like, You know what, Pablo? So- Let's talk list on that A team, though. Of the players that you recognize is pretty good. What are they bringing? <laughs> okay, so so the Beast Coast Prime, uh, Brad Nichols is running Tau. Uh, he's got a Cadre Fireblade, a Cold Star Commander, three strike teams, and one detachment, and an Outrider with uh, com- another Cold Star Commander, a whole bunch of shield drones and marker drones, and then 11 gun drones and a third tactical squad, which is kind of strange, and a Devilfish. Uh, and then he brought a, a Devilfish, did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you got a, got a Devilfish for those, the devilfish. for those strike teams. you got to put them in something. Uh, and uh, then, uh, or maybe the, a lot of times it's the characters. Uh, oh, okay. The big reason the, for the Devilfish is often to protect the, single... the, well, to consolidate your drops down or to protect the gun drones who then they, like can spring out and do some work. Oh, wait a second. They can go in a Devilfish? Yeah. What? So, so fucking Space Marines. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Primaris Marines can't figure mm-hmm. out how to duck their heads into a transport, but you got goddamn drones and a devil. Oh come on! Which which is fatter, a Primaris Marine or a drone? 
have you know, you know sir. I, I just I really <laughs> want him I really want him to model one drone uh-huh. with like a, a cowboy hat and just have him call himself the sexual tyrannosaurus. Yeah. Just, they're sitting in the devil fish, you know, setting the seatbelts ready to go. Okay. I don't care what that skill does. I want it. I've ever heard, but I'll eh. accept it. I guess it is probably. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, and then finally the Vanguard detachment with the third Coldstar commander and three Riptides uh, to yep. round out your so, list. Three Riptides, but no broadsides, or and just the no no broadsides. Devilfish instead of broadsides. So two commanders in cadre fireblade, though, right? Not Th- three Coldstar commanders and a cadre fireblade. How do you do that? I think you only have three he, he only has one, one battalion and then yeah. uh, one outrider detachment with the with the drones. For yeah. the fast attack slots, and then uh, one Cadre Vanguard Fireblade detachment. Firebird was a commander, though, isn't it? No, Cadre Fireblade is the little infantry guy. What's the He's, one I'm thinking he, of that's a commander? Um, uh, a commander? Characters? Uh, like, like Commander yeah, Shadow Sun? One of those fucking little fish people is a commander, and that's, it takes up the slot. Oh, uh, Shadow Sun is, yes. That's what yeah, I'm saying, Shadow, Shadow Sun. Sun. He didn't take Shadow Sun. No, he didn't take Shadow Sun. It's, yeah, it's not... As necessary, because Shadow Sun really locks you into a very, uh, not necessarily immobile, but tends to be fairly static and kind of bubble-oriented list, uh, whereas the Riptides, as compared to Broadsides, want to be more mobile and a little more ranging around the field. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. Kayoning twice in a row with Riptides I'm, and then moving out over the dead saying, corpses. Uh, Pablo, I'm not saying it's oh. bad. I'm just Is saying it... that in a triple Riptide list, as opposed to mm-hmm. like double Riptide, triple Broadside, or nine Broadside, or whatever, you have a lot less incentive to take her. Isn't isn't Kaya Kayon the one where you don't move and you get to shoot? Yeah, so that's Kayon. You were saying mobility. Oh no, I was saying, I was saying you. You you shoot the riptides. You call on twice with the riptides, and then you go out and start moving around when everything's dead. Well, so I guess you could do that, but yeah, that's pretty yeah, nasty. Like I, I, I lost to that this weekend. It's sure, pretty bad. <laughs> but like, but what I'm saying is, if your plan is to sit still, anyways, nine broadsides is better than three riptides. Hmm. Okay. Like mathematically, just, I mean, yeah, by a long shot, the ETC it's not even teams close. Are all taking nine broadsides, not riptides. Interesting. Yeah. All right. But they're European, uh, so it's kind of hard to tell if that's good or just terrible. Oh, burn on Europe. Uh, and uh, Luke Rabowal, uh is running a Cabal. Uh, <laughs> Luke, Luke. <laughs> How do you Damn it, Jeff. Type it in the chat. Me. Type it in the chat. We'll do this as a team. Nah, you, you've got the list. You, I do you've not. Got, you've got the list right here. I linked it. Type and, it in the chat. You can do it. It's just like, it's R-A-B-L-E-B-L-A-B-L. Is it? Yeah, it's... it's uh, <laughs> R R I A B O W O L. I think you're nailing the pronunciation person. But uh, thank you. Anyways, uh, honestly, if Ellis Island cared more, <clears throat> they'd change that name to something like Smith. You know what I mean? Like I don't need this <laughs> shit. <laughs> so you, you have uh, three Razorwing Jet Fighters and a Cabal the Blackheart Detachment, uh, three Crimson Hunter Exarchs and Hemlock and and a Lighthawk, you know, aircraft mm-hmm. detachment, and then finally. Um, a homunculus and Urian Rakarth and three units of racks, one one uh, bigger unit and then two min units or two units of five, and then one very large two units of grotesques with monstrous cleavers. That's it. So he's got the the fat El- dark Eldar bodies backed by seven flyers. Six, right? It's the three. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's oh, he's got a hemlock and three crimson hunter exarchs. There you yeah. go. Yeah, and then he's got the three razor wings. So it's an interesting take on the the flyer list is that he's basically relying on the grotesques and racks to kind of like hold the field. You know what I don't like about it at all? Hmm. This hmm. list is to me 
a guy, basically, as they're kind of suiting up and kidding out for battle, the homunculus starts handing out these body suits of Velcro, and they're like, what's this for? And he's like, put it on the Velcro suits, everybody. This whole list on the ground can get wrapped to shit by everything, right? Like, and now you're thinking, Jeff, why would you want to get, why would you want to wrap grotesques and racks? They're pretty scary in close combat, aren't they? Not really. Mm. They're okay. You know, grotesques, I would say, are relatively scary. They're not like relatively the biggest scary, though, right? But, yeah, racks are, racks are super wrappable. You um, know they aren't. Oh, because they the can. There is the stratagem to leave. pop them back. Yeah, yeah. they can just send. Can, show can up they do that at full field. strength, or do they have to lose? Yeah, the guy? there's no limitations on it. Oh well, well then never you mind. just have to not kill my brothers. You can't do it. Well, no, no, it, it is. It's like the uh, green tide and stuff like that. It's just like spend three CP, pick a unit. They come back at full strength somewhere else then in the wrap field. Multiple units, guys. Think inside sure. the box. Okay? <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying you can't wrap anything. <laughs> well, I can um, wrap it. I'll double wrap it. The, if you the, challenge me, I'll do it right now. The Ooh, other shit. tough thing is um, with seven flyers, you have the ability to move block units. Um, yeah. And you know, and I know it's, I know it's harder. But uh, as as Sean showed me, it, it, it's not Hawaii, really any harder at all, honestly. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, so you just have to move them a little further back instead of right in their getting right in their face. That's it. Yeah. So, anyways, um, good list. And then uh, Nick Navadi is running Muscle Beach. Muscle mm-hmm. Beach is acolytes and aberrants backed by a bunch of little dudes. He dropped Neophyte the commanders, right? That was just his he, weird take on he, that. He he did drop the tank commanders, so he went full body mode. Um, no yeah. <clears throat> What's that? Because the reason I was listening to his podcast on the Phil Redonum Donkaluk's show, and he was saying he wanted to take um, Zoanthrope. He wanted to take Terran and Zoanthropes, but he didn't mm. have the models. Mm. Which is crazy, because Nick's such a good guy about having the models, especially with all that sponsorship stuff that he's doing. But in this case, I guess he didn't have it, and he took tank commanders instead. But is it just pure gene circle here? Yeah, I don't I don't see any tank commanders in here. Yeah. I see... Uh, one, two, yeah, just see three genes to your cult detachments. Huh. Yeah, he's gone in p- pure genes to your cult with his current version, yeah. uh, which seems to be a lot more common these days. Uh, it's not that no one is mixing in Tyrion Interguard, but I see way more pure genes to your cult than I do mixed lists. Yeah, his, his aberrants are Twisted Helix, and uh, the other two are Bladed Cog. So everything else is Bladed Cog. He, I, I, I want to see it in action so bad, too. He was even talking about yeah. this. Like, when you look at the list, it's not... He's not fully utilizing the plus one or two charge, like, almost at all, anywhere. Mm-hmm. So is he just fucking using rigged dice and making nine-inch charges? Or is he just, like, walking across tables and people well, are just like, Nick's so good, I, this must be smart. So, Doesn't, like, he has the... Nick is a really lucky... Like, he's a really good player, but th- he gets these lucky streaks where he just, like... Like, oh, I'll make a 12-inch charge here, a 10-inch charge here. All went according to plan. Yeah. Well, he also has the... Does he have the specialist detachment for reroll charges as well? Uh, He's bladed cog to twist it out. Yeah, and then, yeah. At best, it works on the brood as well, I think, but not but not the, uh, the big boys. <clears throat> I thought there was a way to give aberrants reroll charges also. Oh, there is the blood surge. It's not rerolls. Yeah. It is. I thought it was plus one. No, it's just plus one, I believe. Yeah, don't you... Okay. Yeah, I know because you, you can get one. you can get plus one from that. You can get plus one from the character, and this, then yeah. you can potentially get Which plus one from the yeah. So, so it's he does like, have those too. Okay, so, so it's a seven like seven charge. Charges. He probably perfect ambush is one, so it's d six closer and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it's fairly reliable. 
I I'll say it right. I I would love. I want to see Nick's list in action because again, I have so much respect for him. He's a great guy. Great. Uh, I still can. Well, pre two thousand nineteen, I consider him the best Warhammer player in the world. In two thousand nineteen, he's he's that you know. There's some people crowding that top up there. Jim Best yeah. is way up there. Mister Flanagan, mm-hmm. doing great. Some good players, but uh, that list, it's good. It's good, but it to me is um, it's so interesting because I I feel like it's so susceptible to bad dice. I've always felt like that, so I want to see how he does it. Yeah, it's interesting, although I think that is a symptom of Gene Steeler Cult in general, Absolutely. is that they yeah. are more susceptible to bad dice than many armies yeah. are. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they pulled uh, Hold Your Horses 2018 Tony Kopak. So mm-hmm. Tony Kopak is actually right now sipping margaritas, uh, you know, saw on the beach somewhere, not going to the ATC, because they got his 2018 version in a... Uh, time machine because he's running strachan a company commander to primary psyker in a brigade a katashan brigade stop when you've heard this before stop me when you've heard this before bunch of infantry squads uh, an astropath nine bulgrins a priest three armored sentinels and three heavy weapon mortar teams uh two company commanders in a vigilist defiant with the uh with one wyvern so just one more battalion with a single wyvern and two company commanders and then a knight castellan Mm-hmm. House Yo, Raven, House yeah. Raven, seven hundred, all seven hundred four points of it. So, so Kopak looked at that FAQ, laughed, dropped all the power fists from his company commanders. Sorry, and I have to cut in again. Ran the I same. I can't list. believe you said Tony Kopak laughed, Pablo, and you just like lie like that to the public. Tony Kopak has never laughed in his entire life. So he looked at the FAQ, stared at it blankly with his cold, shark-like black eyes, and then continued to exist exactly as he has, which is Nate. Gray state of complete complacency with absolutely everything, and he just kind of continued to stare until someone snapped him. Tony, he was like, "Yes." And they're like, "You're going to take your same list." And he's like, "Confirmed." <laughs> he is the first iteration of the cyborg that would later become known as the Brandon Grant model. Would later, be developed into the Brian Pullen model, and then later they tried to add personality, but instead just made it kind of weird. It was the Michael Snyder version, which nobody talks about. His greatest accomplishment was in the shadow of the better players of the previous Ooh. Las Vegas Open, where he did do very well for himself, but uh, again, was the weaker version of the cyborg Armada <laughs> that is now kind of out in the Warhammer 40k scene. Tony Kopak, much respect though, because that's like, we're talking 1995 technology here still being utilized in 2019. I think it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he, I hope he brings it, you know, to like Nova, and I think he just keeps it up, you know, just does the full year lap with the same list. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's a good list. It's, the Castellan is, is I mean, still really good. It's still a good list. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it got nerfed. The list isn't as quite as optimized as it was with the, the CP regen and the 600 point Castellan, you know, but. Well, no, keep the, in I mind, don't... you have to put this through the lens of ATC format, though, right? So, like, these yeah. lists have some bad matchups. The idea is you pair them away from that. Yeah. So, if this list is facing something it feels comfortable with uh, or, or even good with, it's great, right? Yeah. And and let's be real, the Castellan by itself still has a lot of really good matchups, like as a single yeah. model. I would I would say that his list is in a great position to dominate some of the vehicle heavy armies out there uh, yeah. that are going to struggle to put it down in, each, in a single turn because almost all of them will. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the, the Castellan is allowed to do its thing, then it is going to eat up you know six hundred, nine hundred, a thousand points of the enemy army before they finally stop it. Mm-hmm. And that can just be absolutely backbreaking to a lot of armies. Yeah. 
Uh, and then finally, Werner Born is running a Cryptic, Emotech, and a Sawtech Dynasty Battalion uh, with three units of Tesla Immortals, a unit of four Destroyers, and then two large units of Tomb Blades, mm-hmm. uh, and then three Doomsday Arcs and three Doom Scythes. And that, that's the list. I like his take. I mean, the core Necron right now is the three Croissants and the three Dilschwangs that everyone <laughs> you know runs as the Doomsday, whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he puts more bodies out there, has a lot of the mobile bikes. Uh, so this is kind of the all comers version of that, and I, I like it. It's it's still Necrons, which is always kind of the like cheeky little thing you got to add in there, which is it's good. Um, but it's not like horrifying. There's not a matchup where you're like, oh Jesus, this will just absolutely murderate that. I think for the most part. Um, but it's also pretty good, and will be just a nice little like, who wants that? No one's chomping at the bit. Nobody, right? Like, yeah. All their flyers? No. Making you can drop flyers for sure. Yeah. Uh, orc list? Yeah. If he, if he rolls a bunch of fives in the middle of your army, and he gets mm-hmm. that stratagem off, you're fucking toast. You're no. Oh, and also those two big units of bikes will, like we said before, just be eating up units of boys. Right. Even on Overwatch, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you send the the boys in to charge them, and you're gonna lose five to ten of them on the charge. And then you're going to kill some of those bikes, but they're T5 multi-wound with three up armor, and then they're going to fly away and do it again. Yeah, and possibly resurrect dudes for the rest of the game if you don't yep. kill it all. Yep. Um, yeah, we need to get a really good Necron player on the podcast and talk about Necrons. Just the, I, I would, the same I would list say, over and over. Time machine. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> if, you, if you need to get a really good Necron player, you need to build one, because... <laughs> I'm just he's on the you way. Get, you should ask Warner, though, because he's actually one of my favorite people in Warhammer. He's just he's a great. super nice guy, great mind. And loves to talk Warhammer. Yeah, War- Warner, you're you're invited. You've always been invited, but officially, <laughs> you're invited. Uh, all right, uh, and then um, from here, I've got a bunch of other bunch of other uh, teams that I think you got to watch out for. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Frozen North has Matt Root in it with with his team, Ben yep. Sherwin, and like uh, Gentle Hogs, who <laughs> were <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my formerly known as me. oh, beautiful. <laughs> I, I actually thought it hog. said Gentile hogs, so I was figuring this was, you know, some sort of religious thing. Yeah, it could be uh, that too. Formerly known as the War Hogs, uh, Trent Northington still making an appearance, uh, though this time they got PJ Pants, Alan Bajramovich running Orcs, uh, and Steve Pamprine running Gene Steer Colt. And um, Steve mm-hmm. is running a form of Muscle Beach. Of course he is. Like. That yeah, Netmuster. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then they've got uh, Elliot Levi, Levi running uh, Chaos. And uh, Ryan Olson running Eldari. Surprise, more flyers. Yeah, it's a shock that That's like it. every single team includes Eldar flyers as yeah, one every, of their five. Every team has Gene Circle or, or two Horde armies, flyers, an Imperium list, and then whatever else you want to run. Uh, and then uh, quality control. That's Sean Naden's list. I kind of wanted to peek over there to see what Sean Naden decided to bring to the ATC. Um, because obviously he is the captain of the ETC, and uh, I don't know if he's—I don't know if he would run. Jeff, do you think you guys would run the ETC list at the ATC? Because it feels like it'd be a really good, like you know, testing ground, but at the same time, might be giving away information. I don't know. Yeah, so I'll give a vague, fun answer. Uh, the The answer is the guys want to be playing their stuff, but one of the things that I'm sure a lot of people can predict, but. I'm learning as a rookie on the ETC team is that the Warhammer uh, wives, T-circles, gossip, and and spy on each other game (laughs) is strong. 
<laughs> so there's been some, I'm not going to name names, but like, for instance, there's some very experimental, interesting lists that someone on our team or some other team might be running that other people had not thought of or, th- or, you know, seen. And then since it's been revealed at tournaments, they're now like, oh, we're considering that for Team Sweden or Team England and stuff like that. So it's very much so a real thing. Um, I fortunately have the advantage of Europe having banned Forge World because they're cowards. My list has nothing to do with what I'm running at BTC, so I'm not worried for me. There you <laughs> go. Um, so uh, I want to talk about Sean Dane's list. Um, he's running Harlequins. He's running uh, two Shadow Seers, a Solitaire, two units of Skyweavers with, of course, Haywire Cannons and Star Boluses. Uh, I'm sorry, three units of Skyweavers. Two, three. Uh, and then uh, Homunculus and Talos. One, two, three, six, eight, seven Talos. So two units of two and one unit of three uh, with Haywire Blasters. Uh, and then Eve Rain uh, and Witches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's it's, that's a Sean Naden list that sounds I've about ever like seen what I'm one. expecting from <laughs> Sean Naden, his melee Eldar. Yeah, he, he brought called, a lot of shooting. If you have vehicles, you're dead. Yeah. If you don't have vehicles, I'm Sean Naden, and I'm going to somehow still kind of win. And well, I don't those, get it. Those witches are pretty good at just like getting into combat with things and staying there for an yes, uncomfortable right, amount of time. Yeah, that, that four up invuln is can in the, in the pseudo fearless is huge. No, they're not strength three. They're almost well. I guess though his are in this version. They're yeah, usually strength four or higher. Just, just wrap the thing. Yeah, they need they're to. rerolling wounds. Yeah, yeah. Really good. I, I see really, every time don't I you, say players... Don't you have Gene Steeler called? What are you complaining about T3 <laughs> melee infantry? Oh, they only have a four-up invulns has five-up I armor. complain about them, too. Yeah. I, I consistently see players um, misplaying with witches all the time, though. They, oh, yeah. They kind of charge them into, like, easy-to-kill troops, and then the witches kill them, and then the witches die and get shot at, so... Sean's yeah. a wizard, but we can't yeah. say it too much because it's not just his hair that's getting longer; it's also his ego. So you gotta you gotta kind of temper that with <laughs> Sean's last great result was kind of what 2018, I guess, at this point in time. Ooh. Yeah. Anyways, he I think he heard you. He's gonna put Hell up a. I'm not gonna he's, say it. He shares a name with me, so I'm not allowed to say anything bad about him. He's a fantastic Sean. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, uh, and then um, finally, uh, the last one I want to talk about was the. Uh, wrong way kids coming out of oh wait no we can't we're not going to talk about the our friends up north but that's a good that's a good team wrong way kids they're from mexico right oh they're from mexico yeah, yeah. well well ridvan martinez is on the team so they're definitely from mexico scary's oh yeah Scarry's that's mexican. a classic classic <laughs> south of the border name uh, th- this yeah. is a really good team you got carter leach just pizza ferrato paul murphy scary and will bundy so um mm-hmm. really really solid good team all really good players it's funny because Scarry likes like to pretend. It's like an Italian vampire. Pizza Ferrato. <laughs> he's like a, he's the Italian pizza maker. Pizza Ferrato sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. I will make you a cheese of pizza. No, I I remember that episode of Rick of I, Rick and Morty. I, yeah. I have been watching a lot of uh, what we do in the shadows. It's an amazing oh, show, yeah. by the way. I hear it's good. I've seen that porn. Uh, and then that is it. Uh, were there anything? Were anything? Any other teams that maybe you wanted to talk about? Any players that I missed? There's a ton you missed. Yeah, there's, there's a lot I missed. There's there's too many teams to talk about, yeah. even close to all of them, or even yeah. like a minor fraction of them. There's so many. That's the thing I always find about ATC and ETC is like it's an overwhelming amount of information. Yeah. And it's also hilariously usually not indicative of the meta at all, but nope. it's just got its own meta, which is really fun. Yeah. 
Because uh, it's I a am, totally I, I different do, I just want to commend the addition, though. Like, in the past, we've had weird moments, right, where it's like every team has six Storm Ravens and shit like that. Or obviously not six, but like four and, and Gilliman. And that, that's stupid, right? But mm-hmm. this edition, even as you're going through the list, yes, there's a lot of Eldar Flyers. You got Tony Kopak running like an old list and still showing probably that it can go strong. There's there's racial diversity. There's codex diversity. I think that's really fun, and I'm I'm really stoked for all of it. Yeah, yeah I think um, it does showcase that like the meta is a lot healthier than it's probably ever been. Yeah, yeah. The other crazy thing is, and the the thing I'm surprised we haven't mentioned yet, is there's 83 teams showing up. So there's 83 teams in this list submitted, yeah. which means you have over 400 players showing up for a team tournament. That's awesome. That's crazy. It's big stuff. Yeah. It's huge. 400 players shouting at each other. Uh, 415. So So not the biggest tournament. That makes it the, (laughs) does that make it the second biggest? Uh, Wasn't the LGT 500 people? I meant in the US. Oh. Uh, Was it? uh, You know, I don't, I don't, I I don't want to say, every time I say this, I get, I get yelled at by someone. So, you know, it's one of the biggest one of the biggest uh, definitely one of the biggest team tournaments in 40k history um i don't know it's if it's great. the biggest if you're listening but... you haven't gone make a team <clears throat> budget and plan for it next year like i said it's just so fun it really is yeah and it's got a really cool group of guys too um it has somehow a somewhat relaxed atmosphere which people are gonna be like jeff you're crazy i know uh i guess what i just mean is all the southern draws and the blue <laughs> levi jeans kind of hanging off the hips of, of various different mechanics and, and blue collar workers. It's just, it has a different feel to it. It's really fun. Yeah. The, the other crazy thing about it is, is that it's, it has a lot more room to grow, right? Cause you have a whole, you know, army of West coasters that don't go. <clears throat> so, you know, you could probably bring another four or five hard hitting teams from West coast players, plus more West coast players. Right. So why don't you speak for Brian Grant? Why is he not there? Uh, well, Brandon's getting married this year. And so he's taking a yeah. break from most tournaments um, so congratulations to the robot. You found his robot uh, fiance. And yet he um, found time to be at Boise. Is that what you're saying? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, Brandon goes to Boise every year. It was scheduled. Anyways, we actually just uploaded his conscious into another robot Brandon Grant model that he had already up there. So it was an easy transition. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so speaking of traveling to awesome events, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about tournament traveling and uh tips about that so when i mean tournament traveling i don't mean driving two four hours you know upstate or to go to an event which is which is fine that's that's good so i, I want to talk specifically about big traveling traveling if you're going to the las vegas open if you're going across the pond if you're going to australia if you're going you know somewhere you've never been before um it, it can be very stressful uh a lot of times you know you really have to figure out what you're bringing figure out how you're going to pack it and then you have to fly it out there and you have to deal with plane traveling time zones uh and then when you get there a lot of times you, you there's a little bit of a culture shock within the 40k community right so you might they may, you might find out they play buildings differently where you're playing um there might be a different kind of meta atmosphere <clears throat> whatever so there's a lot of stuff involved to traveling and so um uh what i kind of wanted to start with is sean and jeff uh would you mind telling everyone a little bit about what kind of like your favorite moments or like maybe one of your favorite tournaments was to like fly out to where, um, you know, you were the, there's maybe a culture shock or maybe it's just something so different than what you're normally used <laughs> to. Bless you. Thank you. Go ahead, Sean. You go first. Um, 
I think for me, I do really enjoy some of the big events. Uh, obviously, LVO qualifies there, but uh, BAO and some of the others. And I'm going to be doing, uh, for the first time, uh, the Warzone Atlanta this year. Oh, nice. uh, so I, I really enjoy going to the really big events like that, where you have a lot of names. Um, you, I can, you meet a bunch of these really big name 40 K players and basically just like spend the entire weekend talking about the game we all love. Um, that is for me, sort of the, the ultimate experience of 40 K. Uh, and I am fortunate in that respect to be on the West Coast, so BAO, LVO, SoCal are all relatively easy travel for me. Um, the flip side of that is, like, it means that I miss out on Nova, Adepticon, and some of the others, um, but if you have tournaments, it's like almost no matter what part of the country you're in, there are some pretty large tournaments, like 200-plus players, that shouldn't be too far away from you. Uh, so if you enjoy that, like, it's definitely doable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So so <laughs> what about a tournament that you traveled to, though? It's like a personal experience, something, maybe a memorable experience for you. Uh, well, I mean, the first time I went to LVO uh, was a really easy one. Like, I, it's, I mean, this was back when LVO was small, like four years ago. Um, so I think it was only, like, what 350 something players in the main event and then another hundred odd in the in the narrative and the open or not the open the uh uh friendly and and all that so you know it, it was still 500 players in one place but for lvo that was on, on the small side um but just really like that was the first time i'd ever been to a truly like large tournament because uh, I'd been to some of the Pacific Northwest tournaments that got up to like 100 players. Uh, but when you have an event that is five times that size, then that is definitely quite an experience. It was also the first time I'd ever been to Las Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was kind of a uh, mind-blowing experience as well. Just like walking in the, from the airport and from, you know, between there and my hotel room, never being in any place with less than three televisions, including the cab we rode in. Hmm. Nice. But you Jeff, you do a ton of traveling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I know I know this is a super open-ended question for you. Um but if you can keep it to just 40k and just large tournaments and just um ones where you didn't hang out with Reese and <laughs> god, yeah, this is so anyways, Jeff, just Not quite sure where the question's just, going. Just do what just... just do what you do best. Uh so many places to take that joke as well um yeah i've traveled quite a bit went to the london gt last year which was really really fun it's obviously the furthest i've ever gone um but i you know make the trip to the lbo nova and then i went to war games con and I, I think one of the most fun aspects of travel is a lot of times i think people coordinate I, there's of course people that like went by themselves and i'm not saying you can't do that but a lot of times when you travel you kind of coordinate that with friends and are like, Hey, we're going to, you know, you work out going to this tournament, maybe rooming with them. The, Mm -hmm. uh, even like Sean was saying, like the taxi rides and the, or if you carpool or whatever, just all that kind of stuff is, has its own fun because you're going with like-minded people that you really enjoy doing stuff with. And then Warhammer is a little bit of a, you know, friends like to party a little bit and stuff too. So some of the silliness comes out and there's all kinds of good stories about that. And it's just a nice camaraderie moment there. But some of my fondest memories are, for instance, going with like Dan May to War Games Con in Texas back in 7th edition and uh, 
just enjoying that place and, and rooming together and having our laughs but talking about our matches and and doing well there and then you know nova's at a fantastic location it's a very different place i think one of the other fun things for us as warhammer players is that the game is played so differently in different areas which obviously can have its i think we hear about the downside of that where people for instance interpret terrain differently or you know their mission sets are just so different and that can be a downside but i actually find it really refreshing and fun uh, especially if you know what you're getting into i think once mm-hmm. we move into the more of the advice area that would be one of the things i would talk about is just like knowing where you're going into and perhaps writing a list for that because there's a story of that too like at london gt they had a very different mission set uh reese didn't really look at it to be fair neither did i but my list was like <laughs> accidentally very good for it um and then reese didn't score as well as he probably would have had he looked at the mission pack but he still had a good time it didn't ruin his time but he would have had a better time had his five and oh in the open tournament been more meaningful because he scored more points right so because he did prepare for that, he kind of shot himself in the foot. And had he prepared a little bit better and gone five zero with better battle points, we could be talking about Reese being one of the top finishers at the uh, London GT, which would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, you definitely got to look to see where you're going. Um, I remember three years ago when I first went to Nova. Nova was a lot more intense than I thought it would be. Um, you know, Jeff was talking about the ATC being, you know, the lists were very competitive, but everything's very laid back and casual. Um, when I went to Nova, I definitely felt like the atmosphere had upped, right? Like, all the terrain was the same. Every person I played, like, knew their army really well, knew my army really well, you know, was competent. I I, I didn't find any SEALs, although I'm sure they did exist. Um, and it just, it felt very professional and very, very, uh, you know, uh, competitive, which I, was, I, I really liked. And that was sort of what Nova was founded on, that, too. Yeah, exactly. It was right. the first competitive Warhammer tournament, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to. I would. I. I, don't, I haven't. I haven't played at the LVO sadly since I, I started frontline gaming. So I haven't played at the LVO since it's really blown up. Um, but I'd love to find out what the LVO is like. Uh, I. You know, I'm there all the time. I, so I, I've got ideas. Um, so uh, when when let's talk about some travel tips, right? So specifically plane travel and, and going out to events. Uh, what kind of like? Uh, do you do you ever? Do you ever um, let your army list decide? Do you ever decide your army list because of travel constraints or or not? Like, so when when you're building a list to travel, do you change it up so that there's less of model count, or so that maybe you're traveling with less expensive models or models that you don't like as much because they break? Um, or if not, if you don't do that, how do you pack your army and what what do you buy? What do you like to have when so you I think travel? This, this starts with like. Uh one of the first big kind of generic piece of advice for Warhammer in general is like managing your expectations. Mm-hmm. If you think you have a really good list, but you take something different because it travels better, um, then make that your priority. Make it that you don't want to worry about models breaking and you're just going to have a good time and see people and maybe enjoy the, the location, go get some you know, food in that area or something like that or see a site. Um, but for me, what I find really fun is to go to a tournament and be as competitive as possible. So... Some things obviously travel better than others, and if they ever had a tournament where they're like, you could bring your Warlord Titan, I probably wouldn't bring my Warlord Titan, because that would be horrifying uh, <laughs> to travel with. But, for instance, uh, and this is probably a lot to, to do with me, Mortarian is yeah. a really terrible model to travel with, because <laughs> yeah. he's got so many little things hanging off of him, and he's just such a beautiful model. Uh, there are different ways to do it, but for me personally, I carry that son of a bitch on the flight. I put him I, I birth him basically I, I carry him on my lap I hold him 
I put them there, and, and and I have to suffer through all the conversations. Like, what do you got there, young man? And I'm like, oh, it's just my toy Martarian. And they're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, which I don't want to be doing. But the idea of packing him in any way, shape, or form, and much worse, checking him, would be not enjoyable oh. at all. So this is what I yeah. do. Um, and there's people that are like, well, I'll never do that. That sounds terrible. And that's okay. But, but, but manage your expectations, right? So if you favor the less stressful travel over your best list, that's okay. Uh, but then don't go freak out when your results aren't as good. For me personally, I want the best results. So I'll uh, do what I can to travel. Which yeah. means never checking yeah. your army, by the way. Yeah, I was just Check. about to yeah. say that. That's... Don't, like, so many horror stories. Don't so, so yeah, no matter how secure your, your case is, and how confident you are, just don't do it. The comments are going to be Kevin Bradley and, and Jeremy Smith saying, I check my army every time. It's totally fine. Don't listen to those guys. Okay, they're on YouTube. They're trolls. <laughs> it is possible to happen. It's not like I'm saying it's impossible. I'm just telling you... Uh, you're taking a risk sh- every time you do oh it. Oh my god, yes. it's such a sick time. risk too. It's yeah. such a sick risk. Like if you if- lose your clothes, it's one thing, but losing your whole fucking army, yeah. and you'll never know human indecency like calling TSA or whatever and being like, cool. "Hey, my bag yeah. didn't show up," and they'll be like, hmm. uh, "What was did in you the call bag?" Such and such. You know, it's like the worst. They oh don't no, care. well, yeah, because the, the response is all in many cases. Wow, that's a problem for you. Yeah, yeah. Call back later. Maybe we'll have it. Maybe we won't. Like, can you call me? And they're like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, that, that's oh, no. Absolutely. It's I would I would definitely say number one is don't check your army unless you have literally nothing else you can do. And for many of these tournaments, it's actually easier to mail your army to them. Um, you can you can FedEx or whatever it to a hotel room and a the hotel friend. will or a friend or whatever it is you have to do. Um, it's often pretty doable to just carry on your army case that is what i pretty much always do because it is both cheaper and yeah. easier um most armies will fit in a, a overhead carrying compartment pretty easily uh, it shouldn't be a big problem and as long as you're just going to like a two or three day thing then that means that you can you know put all the rest of your stuff that you need in a backpack or some other carry-on bag and that manages pretty easily um but as far as like deciding your army based on what travels, I don't think that's usually necessary. Um, there are only a handful of models that are really horrific to travel with, like Mortarian, uh, your Keepers of Secrets, and like big models like that. But most armies travel pretty well, especially infantry armies. Yeah. Um, and it, it should be pretty simple to get them through uh, the whole... Uh, carry on process and and bring things there. I mean, I bring six flyers and five wave serpents, and I can get it all into one bag and and carry that on with me. So it's it's very doable. And that being yeah. said, there will be wear and tear no matter what. So yes. yeah. bring glue. Yes. Um, and also manage those expectations. So like, I I played Warcon throughout all of seventh, and all Admech models are the most hilariously spindly. Mm-hmm. incredibly detailed <laughs> gorgeous models mind you but but just you know uh so they just they had wear and tear but i wanted to travel there's there's uh just so much fun in it and it's great but don't let that catch you off guard it doesn't mean your models get disintegrated and are ruined forever and, and obviously there's people that can take better care than i did um but be very aware of the fact that just by being a human and moving around amongst other humans there will be wear and tear 
Yes. Know? And and that's even true, even if you're not flying or anything. Like, I think sure. most tournament players experience is that if you go to a tournament, there's going to be some minor damage to your models. That's just something that happens. Uh, you're packing and unpacking them and moving around on the table and things get dropped and that just happens. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't freak out when it is, because just like a little bit of glue will put most things back together fine. Um. Uh, kind of moving moving forward a little bit. Uh, one thing that that I know I've I've had a lot of problem with, and I'm sure you know plenty of people do as well, is uh, the issue of money and finances. Yeah. Um. Obviously, traveling to an event, uh, you know, you will spend a lot of money, like um, you know, a lot being relative, but you know, you will spend hundreds of dollars. You'll fly, hotel room, food. Yeah. Um. You might buy some stuff while you're there, and um, usually the food isn't cheap. Uh, Brandon Grant's the only one I, I see who actually doesn't spend money on food when he goes to events, and that's because he brings rechargeable batteries, um, <laughs> and he just, you know, charges them in the hotel room. There you go. But it's you. It can cost a lot, but there yeah. are also a lot of ways that you can bring those costs down, mm -hmm. um, presuming that you're, you know, willing to, to, to go through and do stuff. Um, yeah. Jeff kind of already mentioned, like, traveling with people. That yes. is the single biggest way you can cut your expenses down um you know renting a room or an airbnb or whatever it is for the weekend and splitting it between three or four or five people um is a huge cut to how much you're spending because the hotel is honestly one of the largest expenses often more expensive than the plane ticket itself yeah and and uh speaking of the plane ticket one thing i found is it helps me with not only commitment but also with finances. Is oh, you yeah. buy the plane ticket and the the um, con ticket or the event badge early, like six six months yeah. out, you know, eight months out. You so so if you plan it, you you mark it down on your calendar. You you have time to find people at hotel rooms. You have time to tune your army, figure out maybe travel with your army to some smaller events and figure out how it travels. Um, and see if you even like the army. So just you know, try and buy the plane ticket and the con badge and all that early like you know mm -hmm. way far in advance and then when you get to the venue i've had times where i've just figured it out at the venue and i've, I've been okay every time 40k players uh, maybe you know 40k players are really nice they you know if, especially if you try and go out and you try to be friends try to make friends with people in general i've hey. seen people be super accommodating to complete strangers um well that's not a guarantee but no, but we all we all share something in common already, the hobby, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and that build does build a level of trust, especially if you are someone that they are at least marginally aware of. Uh, if you've traveled to other tournaments and your name is kind of out there and you're like, hey, you know, does anyone have a spot at a hotel room? Nine times out of ten, someone will be like, you know, it's, you know, we got a couch in our hotel if you want to crash on that and split the cost with us. Uh, because just like you, they're looking to reduce their expenses however they can. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, food is another one that can really be expensive or it can be not very expensive at all, depending on which route you just choose to go. Um, a lot of it is going to be like, how many times are you eating out every day? You know, if you're going out and buying breakfast and then you're grabbing lunch somewhere in the in the middle of the day during the tournament, and then you, you know, go out with everyone and have a bunch of drinks and order something like a steak and whatever, then it's not hard to spend 50 or or $100 a day on food. But on the other hand, like if you buy some cereal at a grocery store or the hotel has a uh, breakfast at it, and, you know, 
you have sandwiches or something else simple for lunch and you don't go to the most expensive restaurant they have, you can you can save a lot of money on food. It doesn't have to be expensive. It's yep. kind of a choice that you should make and like look at how much you're allocating to your food budget. And then uh, finally, one thing I've always found, especially traveling, is when you go to events, um, just try to socialize with as many people as possible. Yeah, you can. That's always great. Um, I try to do it. I try to network, find out who the TOs are, who to ask, who to look out for, what kind of rules there are. You know, if there's any like, you know, really toxic players that you need to play a specific way. Yeah. Uh, seriously, like all that stuff. Well, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. locals that you need to be like. Like for example, there was a local at this Boise Cup. Who two players, um, who I won't name yeah. names, definitely would have won if they had known this player was a slower player and they'd gotten a chess clock on them, right? So like, right. so like, uh, you know, there's players like that, and and um, it, maybe maybe this guy didn't necessarily slow play them, but there are slower players that you need to say, okay, we need to use a chess clock this game, and if you go and you don't know who those players are and you don't try to find out, that might create like a feels bad experience. Because ultimately, you are going there. Hopefully, you're going there to to do well in the tournament or try to do well. Yeah, and and the flip side of that is this is your chance to learn more about 40k in two or three days than you do in a month or three outside of it. Um, There's tons of really good players at an event of any size. Even just like a 30-player event is going to attract all the best names from the local area. Um, So this is your chance to see all these unusual armies and talk to people about them and figure Mm -hmm. out, like, why'd you bring this army? What does it do? What's so cool about it? How are you doing this weekend? What are your problem matchups? What do you do really well again? Um, there's a lot of really good people who go to these events and you can learn a ton just from talking to them and it's not hard to get them to talk about 40k because they love talking <laughs> about 40k that's why they're there <laughs> they're there just like you to talk about 40k and have a good time yeah um, don't be afraid to just like join conversations uh, and and chat with people you don't have to be intimidated just because you, you do meet Brandon Grant or whoever there because Brandon loves talking about 40k just like the rest of us is there anything else you guys want to add to that? Um, my big one of my big soapboxes. I've said it before, but I'll just say it again: is get multiple eyes on your list. Don't ever travel to a yeah. tournament and then experience the horror of you find out your list is illegal, and then the mm-hmm. money you spent, the time you took off, the excitement of of going to this special tournament can get ruined or diminished by the fact that you just didn't do this thing you absolutely have control over. Yeah. Um, so show your friends, show your team, show the Patreon channel, show websites, whatever. Just make absolutely sure. And for me, I play on stream. I uh, I have a competitive team. I've shown my list to people, and they don't catch things. And it, I then show it to like a giant group of people, and one guy took the time to just go through everything and be like, yeah, you can't do this. That's not Heretic Astartes. And I'm like, holy fuck. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is, uh, I've said it before, but like, it's an honest mistake, but if I did it, people would be like, well, let's go through all his results. This guy might be a just dirty cheater, and I hate him forever, and I want to kick him in the junk. It's like, cool, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I, I don't know about Sean, but I've definitely had times where I, a random person on the internet has just saved my butt like a day before an event. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's I've... prior to a lot of this happening, like I have had illegal lists at an event before. It's something that happens. uh, And I try to like double, triple and multiple check my lists, but it will slip through. And I've definitely posted a list like here, this is the thing I'm thinking of bringing to a tournament. And someone says, you can't take that, that you have too many dedicated transports 
or, you know, like that's five HQs in a detachment. There's no way to get that. Um, And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I just fucked up. Uh, I I need to change my list. And the more eyes you can get on that, the more likely they are going to be to catch those little mistakes. Yep, absolutely. All right. So. So I want to take this moment to talk uh, about Hawaii and Boise. If you've been listening for the past month, you'll know that or for the past, you know, half a year, you know that Hawaii and Boise have been sponsors of this podcast, the specifically the Throne of War GT in Hawaii uh, and the Boise Cup. Um, so I want to talk. I want to take some time to talk about them. Um, first, I want to talk about Hawaii. Uh, unfortunately, the I, we didn't have a podcast last week. Um, I got home off the flight super late uh, and just couldn't record. Um, so. Uh, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, I'll try to make you know weeks where I miss the podcast limited, um, but it does happen occasionally. It was rough uh, traveling back from Hawaii. That's a big flight. Yeah, it was. It's a, also, I was I was sick too. I think the oh, Islanders yeah. gave me gave me back the germs. That anyways. <laughs> so, um, uh, so let's go ahead and talk about that. So, Sean, uh, you went, and, and I know we both had a great time. Um, what did what did you kind of get immediately from like the meta, uh, and and the players there and stuff. It was First interesting impression. seeing because the, you know, being as far away from the, the mainland as they are, they're a little more isolated from the sort of wider U.S. meta and especially the West Coast one. Uh, so there were it was sort of interesting seeing the different kinds of lists that developed and the folks they had playing locally. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't completely unexpected just because, like, they have access to the Internet, too. They also see what's <laughs> going on. Um so there wasn't anything, like, truly mind-blowing for me, um, but it was very interesting, like, talking with the players and kind of, like, getting their take on, you know, who the local strongest players were, uh, who was likely to be doing what, what kind of lists they were bringing. Um for me, I think the the thing that struck me the most was maybe like the terrain and tables. Um, with it being a relatively small uh, tournament, I was kind of expecting uh, that it would be more of kind of like the store level, like this is the terrain we were able to cobble together for a tournament of this size, but they actually had more than adequate terrain for pretty much all the tables, so I was very impressed with that. Um, and uh, the lists... They were there was definitely some interesting things in there. There I don't think there was anything that like shocked and amazed no. me. Like there was it was the all the lists were things that I had seen some variation of before, but no, that's sort of the nature of things now. Yeah, I was actually surprised by how standard the lists were, right? So so I I went into it thinking like, oh, they might not be able to get like the same stuff we get. So I, I was actually kind of expecting like an Australian horde meta or like some, <laughs> some weird thing, you know, that w- was like a product of, of where they live. But I saw there was a lot of knights, a lot of well-painted knights. Um, yeah. there, I put pl- round one. I played, I played against Jeff's list, two custodes, two, uh, um, the Caladiuses and a Telamon. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, so this is, this exists in, on, on this little Island. Yeah. Um, you know, really well-painted as well. Right, uh, and so you definitely felt like they all knew what the meta looked like. They were all mm-hmm. bringing their very best competitive lists, um, and no one I played, you know, actually was bad. I know I, I, I know I played uh, Jeff's list. That wasn't Jeff's list. It was a variant of Jeff's list. Um, round one, and I, I you know, I, I won like I scored like forty one points on the guy, um, but he was really nervous, and he didn't. It wasn't because he was bad. It was because he made one really bad mistake, and my my night list is the kind of list that will take a mistake and absolutely steamroll you with it. So 
yeah you know, it was just it, you know so that, yeah everyone i played was really competent they all knew what they were doing um it didn't feel like a small a small event from like like a, a gt even though it didn't have quite the like major size yeah i think the the only thing that might be surprising to some people was the number of knights that were there it was um, a lot. but you know, I, from the the West Coast where we are, we see knights constantly. So, in a, on a personal level, that was not actually surprising to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, I wanted to talk about Sean. I wanted to talk about our game a little bit because we did play. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, round four. <laughs> I, the whole tournament, I'd been lamenting playing uh, Sean. I think I, the first thing I told him at the tournament was, "I don't want to play you." <laughs> um, so I ended up playing him. So um, I brought the list I brought was the same list I brought to Boise, and I think it'll be the list I'll, I'll be running from until you know until it gets nerfed or until I see something better come along because I think it's a really good list. Um, and it's just uh, simply if you know Junior Fleehy, it's a variant of his list. Uh, it's three knights, so I've got a warden, a gallant, and a knight crusader, all house Terran, um, and then two Astromel Charm Catachan Battalion detachments. Um, both of them are Vigilist Defiant. One has two Wyverns with the Emperor's Wrath Artillery Company detachment, and the other has a Tank Commander with the Tank deta- the tank detachment for Vigilist Defiant. So, super simple list. Three Knights, a Tank Commander, two Wyverns, and like 60 Guardsmen. Um, and it absolutely does not do well against Flyers at all. Like, yeah, it's it struggles because the, the Knights, A, can't go to top tier. Uh, so a degraded knight is going to just be missing the flyers pretty much, um, and B because in general knights have problems with the flyer list. They can't charge it. It's not that hard to move block it, move block them, and um, they they have a small enough wound count that all those multi damage weapons on the flyers add up really fast. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it, I think I kept it pretty close. I think it was like I think you won twenty nine to twenty. I think it felt a little yeah, closer it was, than that. It was a relatively close score. Um, there was a couple clutch moments in it for sure. Um, but uh, you know, sort of like in general, it is it's a struggle for the night list. Yeah, um, so. it's too many too many high AP, too many mortal wounds. Yeah, quick quick game highlights and quick game recap. It went as exactly as you expected. The wave serpents demolished any guards and they saw. Um, my guardsmen either hid like cowards or ran and scored me objective and then died like cowards. Yeah. Uh, and I barely killed a flyer every single turn. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, it came down to uh, turn three when my gallant came out of reserve, which, which by the way, uh, a reserved knight, you, I, I've been, the knight they pick Kingslayer on, I just reserve it. And I actually, with the exception of the, the game where all three of my knights died against the Tau player at Boise, I only gave up three Kingslayer points the whole tournament. On my knights, which which I was pretty, which I was pretty, you know, proud of. You gave up so. four against me on the queen. No, no, at, at Boise. Oh, at Boise. Okay, I'm at sorry. Boise. Not, was, not, no, not say, Hawaii. I, I know you gave up full Kingslayer no, there. No. I, I know. Uh, I, I should have. I probably should have, in retrospect, outflanked the Crusader mm-hmm. and then just kept the gallant. Maybe bum rushed with the gallant. I don't know. Well, so it's a tough. It's a thing. tough if you, matchup. If you reserve the Crusader against me, you have no damage on the field. Which means yes, I am yes. gonna have all my flyers active for most of the game. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough call, but it, it almost swung in my favor when the funniest thing in the game happened. Sean might disagree with me when my gallant came out and uh, I used the stratagem to swing at a wave serpent on the top of a ruin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the funny thing about that is, is when you use that stratagem, you charge to the building. You don't charge to where the model is. So instead of a nine inch charge, because you measure nine inches from the the model diagonally. 
uh, you actually it's like a six inch charge to the building because you only have to go straight to the building and then be within three inches of the model on top of the building. Yeah, so, or be within up. an inch of it. it super funny. So yeah. so I used that stratagem and he and Sean vected it, which was intelligent. He had four CP left and he vected it and he rolled a one. So he lost all his CP and then my yep. gallant was able to go into a wave serpent. And if that gallant hadn't died to storm guardians and a warlock and and a wave serpents in close combat with one wound left, I might have I might have been able to pull it off. Because he had he was he would have gotten me the bonus again and probably hold more because he had the banner. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the banner was, was actually uh, clutch for you on a couple turns there. Yeah, and and for those of you who are trying to to do well with knights, um, really read the knight codex back and forth. There's tons of tools in there. You know, every knight is a Swiss Army knight, right? They can they can do tons of different things for you. Um, you just have to know the right matchups. So. Yeah, the, the the selection of warlord traits, relics, and house traits that you have to configure them different ways gives you an incredible amount of flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then was was there anything else you wanted to add about Hawaii? Oh, oh yeah, I wanted to know how. So how did you tie Fred Fortman? Um... <laughs> My list is a firepower list. Like its number one thing is like it shoots really hard, it kills a lot of stuff, and the wave serpents just sort of like hold the ground long enough to do work. Um, Fred's list was also a firepower list. It was Gaiman plus Triple Predator, Double Repulsor, and the Scorpius. Um, he killed all my flyers, which I kind of expected. Um, it's when you're getting all those rerolls, it's not that hard to chip away at them. Um, but the problem was, even as he was killing them, I was getting some kind of bad rolls and not doing quite enough damage to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so turn by turn three i had killed most of his firepower uh and he had killed basically all of my flyers um and that left me with the wave serpents but then i was not able to get any other kills on anything else on his list so i did not get a kill on the final three turns of the game holy Um, crap (laughs) yeah which that's that's horrifying like that's a six point swing right there um and he was getting, like, one kill on each of those turns, but he would get kill and kill more, and I would get nothing. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge swing against me. Uh, and there was a bunch of stuff that went wrong, and, like, stuff like, he shot a single wounded re- repulsor into a full health flyer uh, with no Guillemin nearby and killed it. Ooh. Uh, which, that's pretty unlikely at minus two, um, but it happened. Um, so he, he managed to nick it right out on that, uh, final turn. Um, and, uh, we ended up tying because I just, I couldn't get any kills three turns of the game. Uh, and, and I, I made some mistakes too. I, there was some, a couple times when I mispositioned a farseer for doing smite and stuff like that, that Mm. I, if I had done it right, I probably could have pulled an extra point or two out, but yeah. yeah, and not getting kills was the big thing that hurt me. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I remember we talked about that, and um, I remember Fred being a little not super confident going into your Elder Flyers. We talked a little bit about it briefly, and I, I remember yeah. after our game, we knew that you'd be playing him and that you felt really confident going into his list. Um, I so. should beat his list most of the time, but again, like if I just fail to get kills a whole bunch with a list that is mostly about killing things, then yeah, it goes really poorly for yeah. me. So, so on the topic of repulsors, before we go to Boise, Jeff, mm-hmm. repulsors are coming out. The executioner and also the Admech transport 
what's what's your hot take on those two units? They're great. Uh, I've said for a while mm-hmm. that one of the things missing from AdMech is their ability to reach out and touch stuff and indirect fire in particular. So I used to ally them with guard or you know, mm. something else. Um, their price point is ridiculously cheap. They're not going to like mind-bendingly break the meta, but they're just very good, if not extremely ugly models, which is too bad. <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> by the way. I'm sure there's people like it, but they just look ridiculous. Um, but they're fun. I, I, you'll see a lot of three of them uh, for the AdMech players, and I think they're good. But again, like I said, it's it's a kitted out. It's like 120 points or 115 or something like that, so we're not talking about meta-smashing ridiculous firepower, but it's just good. That's for the the gun tank, not the transport. The version. gun tank, yeah, yeah. The transport. I don't know. I heard like seventy something points was the yeah. The number I that's heard about quoted. right, right? Because it's a pretty transporting garbage inside of garbage, and uh, doesn't you know, fly, <laughs> which weirds me out a lot. Wait, they don't have the fly keyword. I am told I have not seen the data sheet myself, but I have oh, heard. I see from folks who apparently have that it does not have the fly keyword because it's essentially like a hovercraft not a skimmer yeah yeah it's just i mean what you're transporting right now is just not that exciting i think uh i think another pass at admech in future iterations of warhammer will be very much so desired needed it suffers very much so from being an early codex um admech is so flavorful and so interesting in seventh edition it's kind of sad to see what it became an 8th edition. It's not that it's the least competitive. It certainly is not. It's it's good. It's just that they're not very interesting. So this new model is cool, and it's very much so welcomed. I think you should definitely take the, the tank version and, and enjoy the indirect fire, and, and even the tank shots are pretty cool too. Uh, for such a cheap platform, that's fairly defensible, which is nice. The big winner here, though, is those repulsors. We're already seeing lists. Uh, you guys just got done talking about a, a gentleman that did very well in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. With I think three repulsors, the two heavier, repulsors, yeah, yeah, two, but yes, great, yeah. The the better shooting version of this is like five points cheaper, which is ridiculous because it already shoots pretty damn yeah. well. So uh, I think that's and that's great. It's needed because the repulsor model is the better land raider in just that the poor land raider has never it's like the terminator in eighth edition it's like sometimes people take it like, wow look at you go look at you using that like, yeah it's great but kind of not you know right um, well they they people always want it to be good but it never really has been because it's one of the most iconic things in warhammer the freaking land raider yeah you, know? you can't you can't read five books without an, an amazing scene where a land raider comes stomping in and they're like holy shit it's a land raider but in the warhammer they're like oh you have a land raider what do you got in there and they're like well with Terminator. Okay. Thank you. First round. Cool. Anyways. I'm gonna hit it with I'm gonna hit it with three Lies cannons and it's gonna go away. Yeah. But that executioner is amazing. It's uh it, it's just ridiculous. Very, very good. You're obviously gonna see it anchored by a Gilliman. Um, but it should sell well and do well and, and you should prepare for it. It clears hordes, it hits hard, it's good. Yeah, it's a and it and it looks like it has the same guns as the regular repulsor, just plus a another gun. For less points. And it still For, can no. transport, it just doesn't transport as much, which is like Which is laughing. fine. Which yeah. Is, yeah, which is fine. You go from 10 to 5, and you're like, oh, okay. You still put 5 intercessors in it. And, you know. Uh, that's, no, that's, uh, I'm, I'm excited for that as well. Um, I'm just seeing what people like Aaron Towler do with, with, uh, the new ones, because Aaron's already been doing well with repulsors. So, uh-huh. excited for that. Alright, so, real quick, Boise, um, I just want to talk about, because I went, I went, um, I went four and one. I played Alan Hernandez round one. Um, if you know Alan Hernandez, 
you you already have an idea of how that game went. Um, but you know, it was unfortunate. He gave me turn one. I knew he made a mistake, and then I spent the rest of the the game just killing one demon prince, Lord Lord of Change demon prince guy at a time. He was running a Lord of Change Fate Weaver and Magnus, um, so it didn't go well. Uh, game two, I played my loss. I played against uh, a good friend of mine, um, Izzy. She was running Tau, um, and she had three Riptides and three Broadsides and thirty Shield Drones. Um, and unfortunately, that game I. I uh, failed a seven-inch charge and a six-inch charge on on her riptides and her and her broadsides when there was almost no shield drones left um, with my warden and my gallant. So they failed their charges and then um, I quickly lost the game there. Uh, and then three, four, and five were decided between two points or less each game, but I won all three of them. Um, so you know, round three, I played against a guy with a corn list with Abaddon and a bunch of fearless cultists. He was really intelligent. He knew how to play. Um, and then round four, I played against uh, an Harlequin's Dark Eldar mixed kind of list. Oh no, I think it was a pure Harlequin's list with Dark Eldar flyers. Um, and then he had a Vect, and then he had uh, two units of Skyweavers, which absolutely terrify knights. Um, and then the Kingslayer outflanking was super clutch there. Uh, and then round five, which was probably the the most fun game and definitely the most entertaining game, was against uh, Colin Sherman of the Best in Faction podcast. You should definitely listen to them. They're great. Um, but Colin was running his ATC Gene Circle list, which is super nasty. Um, but Colin had also at this point had a rough tournament. Um, so he, I think he was looking – I think he was really tired. I think he was looking for, for just like a quick game. Um, so he gave me first turn. Um and then, which which you do with Gene Circle, I understand. Uh, but so at the at the bottom of turn one, so my turn one, I go, okay, I'm just gonna kill all of his stuff, all three of his tank commanders, or do my best to try and kill all of his tank commanders. Uh, he started on the board three tank commanders, two characters, and his big squad is 15 squad and a smaller squad. Um, so turn one, I go, I'm just gonna kill as much as I can. So I killed a tank commander with my tank commander, uh, gimped the other two tank commanders, uh, and then killed one squad and then killed one character which was a misplaced character. And then at the bo- at the top of two, right before my turn two, Matt Johansson, the judge, comes by because um, Colin had asked him what the the uh, tabling rules were. And Matt goes comes by and says, if if you table someone at the end of your player turn, you win, right? And so I, I get yeah. a second turn, right? So I'm looking at my list, and all he has left is seven guys, seven infantrymen, one character at, like, one wound, and two tank commanders that are hurt already. And I still have everything. He has he killed like a company commander that I I gave him because I I wanted to get the bonus point. So so I, I proceed to try to table him. Um, he intelligently vexed my double shooting my wyvern, uh, and so between my both my wyverns and three mortars, uh, I don't kill seven guys. So I kill them down to two models, which he has enough CP to um, to obviously make it so they don't fail. Uh, and then my last mortar was close enough to his character and couldn't kill his one wound character. Um, so it was, it was kind of poor shooting on my part. Uh, and then I killed both his tank commanders. So he was, uh, after he let his morale die, he was one character at one wound left from being tabled on turn two. Um, so he was very, very close to losing. Uh, and then his turn three and turn four, his army came on, killed a knight, Killed all my guardsmen, uh, and then by the end of turn four, I had two knights and a wyvern left. Oh, and and I guess a wyvern in close combat too. But that he was he was wasn't long for the world. Uh, and then from there, we, you know, I played a really tried to play a really really good game. He made some mistakes with his warlord, which cost him four full kingslayer points. 
Um, and then turn six, he didn't quite have enough to kill any of the knights, and the knights took the middle of the board, and um, my wyvern, like a champion, because he left the one-wound character on the objective in the corner of the whole game, so my wyvern, who dipped 18 inches away to the middle of the board from his dying buddy, moved over like five inches so that the character was the closest model, and killed it with one wound left, um, hitting on fives. And uh, nice. that basically won me the game. So really fun back and forth game uh, a good example of playing someone really good and and you shouldn't take your foot off the pedal and you should still focus because i definitely got i definitely got confident after my turn two because i knew he could come down i knew he'd kill a knight um and i knew he'd kill a bunch of guardsmen but i thought that between the gallant outflanking and countercharging, I'd kill all his acolytes, and then his aberrants would come down and not kill anything because they were out of kind of out of the buff ranges of all the characters. Um, so if they wanted to kill a knight, they probably wouldn't be able to. Um, but I got really arrogant. Uh, you know, I, I made some charges. I kind I kind of made some mistakes and some sloppy movements, and it almost cost me the game. So never let your foot off the gas when you're playing a really good player. Just even if they're even if they're they've got a cute. Puppy dog eyes like Colin. Just don't do it. <laughs> so, that's it. Yeah, Colin was was having a rough tournament there, I think, for sure. He yeah. may have been feeling at his best. But, you know, that's that's the thing that happens. That's kind of part of traveling is, like, you got to find a way to, to try and hold yourself together over the course of what can be a very difficult weekend. Yeah, and and I think what I've learned the most from, from playing lots of tournaments is is playing conservative is usually the best way to go. So if, if I had just, instead of moving my knights forward to definitely kill the tank commanders, if I had just backed my knights back into my bubble, my screen, shot maybe a tank commander, I would have gotten kill, kill more, hold, hold more, um, you know, maybe. Uh, and then I would have been in a better position to handle his screens and not lose a knight, which probably would have just won me the game flat out. So there's that. Yeah. Con it's very easy to go over aggressive, but playing conservatively is one of those things that a lot of people kind of underestimate, but it can be absolutely huge. Yep. Really wanted to table him, though. <laughs> Just wanted to go get some, go relax and get some food. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Sean, <laughs> so tell me about your list. Uh, I brought, your game. Yeah, I brought the, the same list to Boise Cup that I took to the... Uh, Throne of War, uh, which was three Dark Eldar Flyers, three Eldar Flyers, five Wave Serpents, and uh, a handful of characters. Um, I ended up going 3-1-1. One, and one. Uh, uh, I had uh, a couple of games that did not go quite as well as I would have hoped, but uh, I kind of persevered. Um, my round two was against Thomas uh, Oakley, who went undefeated and took, I think, second place at the tournament. Um, he was playing Pure Blood Angels. Um, it's it's a list that I should have beaten pretty handily. Uh, I absolutely have all the tools to do it, but I screwed some stuff up. Um, I should have put all my guardians out on the front line to screen out his charges, and uh, then just let him crash his uh death company into the guardians, slaughter the heck out of them, and then destroy him with all the firepower. Um, because even if he gets really lucky and, like, wraps stuff up, I still have Executioner, Smite, and Five Wave Serpent Shields, which will clear out that whole squad pretty easily. Um, but I was stupid and, uh, let him charge into my vehicles instead. Um, 
And then so when he dropped it, the, the death company killed like four vehicles in one turn. And then I killed all of them. And then the sanguinary guard dropped in and killed like four more vehicles. And then I failed to kill them. Uh, um, he was rolling like a champion on his five ups. I had multiple times where one of my flyers couldn't kill a model. Um, so, uh, you know, there was, there was some bad dice in there for me, but also some pretty significant mistakes. Um, I just, I haven't gotten enough practice late. I, most of the people I practice against have moved away. So I'm kind of lacking pretty significantly in that department, which has not done me any favors on that front. Um, but, uh, that was, that was a game. I, I definitely felt like I, I should have win if I won, if I'd played it correctly, but I messed a bunch of stuff up and that hurt me a lot. Um, I also, my, my tie was against a Nurgle list that also should have been a relatively easy game for me. Uh, it was just like three Plague Burst Crawlers, um, some random Nurgle stuff like the, uh, the, you know, Pox Walkers, a squad of Plague Marines, stuff like that. Uh, and then uh, a couple of the little, uh, flying Plague Drones and Mortarian. Um, I took out Mortarian first turn. Uh, or second turn, uh, as he he threw he pitched him into me first turn, um, but Mortarian didn't actually get to really kill anything important. So second turn, I killed Mortarian off. But uh, turn one uh, again, I couldn't get a kill. I put almost my entire army um, into one of the little like plague spitter drones and got it down to a single wound and couldn't kill it, even popping off a serpent shield. Oh, man. Um, so that was really awkward. Um, and then his flamers were just going absolutely hog wild on my flyers. Uh, I think the lowest he ever rolled for number of shots was eight. Uh, mm. So, you know, he, you know, was like firing a single one of the, uh, the plague crawlers into a flyer and doing like five and six wounds to it. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah, that's that's typically that is exactly mathematically what should happen with an AP one weapon. So, um, yeah, he was he was kind of just like smashing on things really hard there. I was I was fighting as hard as I could, but I couldn't quite pull out the win because uh, again, like you know, not getting a kill on the first turn is a three point swing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So, uh, uh. That was the Boise Cup. Uh, big shout out to Rich for going back to back, winning with Orcs. Yeah. Um, congratulations to him. Uh, and uh, he played Brandon Grant in the finals. And I do want to add one little caveat here, and something that we we gave Brandon a lot of shit for. Um, they didn't they didn't play a complete game. Um, they both timed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I remember going up to Brandon and looking at the time and seeing Rich at like two minutes left. I think on like turn three. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, Brandon's got this, because I didn't look at Brandon's time. And when I came back, uh, Rich had timed out, and I was like, okay, Brandon, how many time do you have? And he had two minutes left on his time. So Rich timed out, and Brandon had two minutes left on his time. So that was the last turn, unfortunately. Um, you know, play, even with chess clocks, play fast. Like, if Brandon had gotten to six turns, he definitely would have won. Um, and, you know, they're both really good players. They both, there was a lot of, there's a lot of everything, shooting, psychic phase, assaulting, all very quickly. Um... But, uh, you know, at the same time, Mike Snyder played, uh, you know, to like 30 minutes left in the round, two turns, and then he and his opponent finished the game with like 15 minutes to spare, right? So if you if you and your opponent make a conservative effort to finish your games, you will finish your game. I, I guarantee it, no matter what your armies are. Um, so, you know, it, good job to Rich, but also at the same time, let that be a lesson to people. Finish your games. 
Rich is a do that. absolute sweetheart, one of the nicest guys Great guy. face, and it's really cool seeing his success. He's playing very well. He played a great game against me, and, and to beat Brain Grant is a huge achievement. Uh, but And it's kind of a funny thing about Brain Grant, too, is, and it's actually not just him. It's a, it's a lot of the top players. They'll just play the game of Warhammer, and that's totally fine. But for a lot of people, especially with their armies, which are very melee-oriented as well, like they're going to probably be in combat turn one or two, and there's a lot of that. And then Bullgrins are so damn durable, right? So they're not necessarily dying, and they're picking up a lot of stuff, etc. But the point is, if you're not aware of the clock, that can happen. And yeah. it kills me to hear that Brain Grant had the game gone on, probably would have won. Because mm-hmm. to me, sure, there's situations where a player is maybe slow playing to their advantage or whatever. That's not the case here. But what did happen is that Brain Grant's such a damn accommodating, nice, friendly guy that he didn't usher Richard on. Because Richard plays a mass body army that has a lot of rerolls, it has a lot of advancing and still going, and it's got a lot of dice to it. And in our game, uh, because I because I saw how we played against Frankie, who also has a mass body army, I said, "Hey, just so you know, my big concern is that we just finish this game, win or lose. That's that's what I want." And guess what? Richard worked up a little bit of a sweat during our game and played as fast as he damn well could. <laughs> and we were in combat turn one as well, but we got through all six. And he did make a few mistakes, and that will happen. And there's some players that like really hate that. But to me. The worst thing I can hear, well, the second worst thing I can hear in a tournament, other than like someone's malicious and cheating, I guess, is had it gone on, I would have won. Yeah. Don't ever be yeah. that victim because 99% of the players you're going to play, especially between these two guys who I know very well, had that conversation happened and had that concerted effort happened, a real conclusion would have happened. What instead yeah. happened was orcs were advantaged on turn three, so he won. Yeah, yeah, and and um, and I don't want you guys to go online and think any less of these two guys. Rich and Brandon are amazing. They're great guys, great players. Um, but top tables, things can get very cerebral. Thing, you know, things can definitely be bigger, especially if you're playing someone like Brandon Grant. I remember Rich was walking around his table, staring at the table, like psyching himself out the entire time. Like the whole every time I talked to him, he's like, "Don't talk to me. I got to focus on Brandon Grant because he really wanted to win." Um, so that's you know, top table. Just be mindful of the fact that you need to get through six turns still. Um, and it's definitely, you know, something, a skill. It's it's definitely something that, you know, people like Sean Naden and Brandon Grant, who, Jeff, who who see the limelight a lot, that, that they pick up. Yeah, playing yeah. playing fast is something we talked about before. <clears throat> like, even at the top tables, you have to be working at it and yeah. be really pushing towards that. But Absolutely. that said, like, you can finish that game. You know, Chuck and I played, and uh, he had 150 orcs and a ton of shooting stuff, and we were in combat most turns of the game. Um, not as much as Brandon versus Rich, obviously, but we still finished our game with time to spare. Yeah. Oh, no, no, let's be clear. You can finish every game of Warhammer. It's just yes. sometimes you will have to play at an uncomfortable pace, and there's a lot of people that, if not directly, will at least indirectly tell you they don't like to play that way. And mm. if you're at the bottom tables, you're not really concerned with that unless your opponent like explicitly is trying to urge you not to do that, in which case, whatever. You know, If you're both having a good time and that's the way the game goes, fine. But I've been on this pedestal for a while. Brandon Grant is, in my opinion, one of the absolute best players in the world, if not, you know, arguably top three or the best player in the world. He won the LBO, the biggest tournament we've ever had. And I think if you're a malicious player, you can look at a game with Brandon Grant and be like, you know what? I could probably, I could game that. I could play it slow because he's such a nice guy. He really won't say that much. Uh, And even when he does, he's just kind of like, hey, let's play a little bit faster, you know? What you got to do at some of these tables against some of these top players, and they're not trying to game you necessarily. Some might. 
you got to say, you got to establish it. Say, hey, let's play quick. I want to finish this game. And then if the game is slowing down, be like, hey, man, just so you know, uh, we've got such and such time. We really need to get through this. And if it really keeps slowing down, then you call over a judge and just say, do you mind monitoring our time or helping us make sure that we finish this game? Because I, I'm concerned that we won't finish and I'm trying to play as fast as I can. Yeah. You have to take the steps. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I play most games that I play with a chess clock now, not because I think we're going to run out of time, but just so that I don't have to have that discussion at the end of the game. Yeah. It's like we're getting down to X minutes or whatever. And that's the and, ultimate feel safe yeah. because if they're just literally playing slow, they're killing themselves. So Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely not a mistake. We, we, we already grilled them, so Brandon Grant's probably not going to make that mistake again because Brandon's not the kind of player who makes mistakes very often. So um, anyway, so that's it. That was the Boise Cup. It was a really great event. Uh, five rounds, ABU games. It was a great venue. It was in a, a, a youth center. They had a pool, a really big venue, air-conditioned, played in a, a basketball court. It was a good time. It was it was a lot of fun. So if you ever find yourself in the Boise area this come this year, come this time next year, Go check it out. Absolutely. All right. So uh, that's that's it for the main topics. Uh, at the end of every episode, we like to uh, open it up to the patrons. So um, if you sign up at patreon.com slash chapter tactics and go into the Facebook group, you will be able to a- ask us questions what, that we will answer at the end of the sh- uh, show. We're coming up on two hours now, so I'm probably going to skip a couple. So I'm going to get to some of the good ones. Um, wow. The first one is uh, the, they're all good, but all these good are questions. There's no oh, bad questions from our patrons. <laughs> A lot of a lot of these we kind of already covered um, in in the episode already, so um, I feel like you know like maybe we could probably you know skip over those because we covered it. Um, so Robert wants to know he'd love to hear our opinion on the 3D model issue that popped up this weekend. Um, I'm gonna step out, um, but uh, Jeff and Jeff and Sean, if you're unfamiliar, uh, there was a gentleman with neon green. 3D printed Caladius yeah, tanks. We're familiar, I'm sure. Okay, cool. So, um, for those of you who aren't familiar, um, there was a gentleman who won an RTT with neon green 3D painted Caladius, uh, 3D printed Caladius tanks um, on cardboard bases. They were unpainted, uh, and and there was you know there was a big stink about it, um, as the tournament 40k tournament does. So, uh, Jeff and Sean. So, there's obviously like the wide scope image that we can talk about, but on a personal level, if an RTT lets that stuff happen, it's, it's on them and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just an RTT where there wasn't a paint requirement. So there was a whole bunch of unpainted armies, which normally you can like look back and be like, I just don't like it. I think that's stupid. But a couple of my friends did it and it's not because they're like lazy, malicious or hate the game. They're, they're like some of the biggest hobbyists I know, but they have models. They otherwise aren't ready to play, but are really excited about playing. So they were able to do that. So to me, this is like a question of effort and um, like circumstance, I guess. Obviously, all the big tournaments, you absolutely couldn't take anything like this just because they're unpainted. Uh, the whole 3D printed thing, I'm not really super, I don't know. I don't have a mega cool opinion about it. Like if you have a 3D printed model and it's painted really well, and looks exactly like everything else. But I find out that it's 3D printed. Do I think less of you? Absolutely not. I don't care. To each their own. Uh, if a tournament bans that and says we don't want that here, do I think that's weird? Nope. I think that's fine. It's their own tournament, right? Like, I believe in the capitalism of Warhammer and in tournaments where it's like, if, if that's what they want to do, cool. And if that really bothers you, then just don't go. Um, but seeing neon green, two of them missing guns altogether on cardboard bases at a tournament, that kind of sucks, right? Like, that's kind of... It's kind of shitty. Um, it's not like I hate the guy or think he's some evil person, but it, it does kind of suck that 
because there's other people there that took a lot of time and effort and, and painted their armies and stuff like that. But again, it's an RTT, so for me, it's not the biggest of deals. There's just certain uh, unspoken etiquette in Warhammer where like RTTs are a little bit more silly and it's okay um, in, in general. It doesn't mean you make someone have a bad time or you take the, the rules and blur them or something like that, but at the same time, it's not the LVO. It's not Adepticon, so I'm not freaking out. Um, but if someone tried to show up to Adepticon or LVO with that, they'd be yanked. They'd be yanked off the table and it'd be bad and people would laugh and if that guy felt bad, then people would be like, you're dumb. And that's how it would go. Yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, this is a pretty easy thing. Like, does it look good? Does it make me feel great? No. But the rules of the tournament did allow unpainted models, as is very common in RTTs, because they're intended to be kind of like introductory level events yeah. or places where you can play around with stuff that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. So RTTs do very commonly allow this. There's it, He didn't violate any rules maybe he violated social etiquette but lots of people bring unpainted models to rtts and it does not make top page news on the internet or there ever and yeah. the whole 3d printed thing seemed completely irrelevant um unless the argument is that like oh they're not real forge world he didn't spend enough money to be allowed to win a tournament um which yeah, like I, I don't, I honestly don't really see why this is newsworthy at all. You could probably pull up any fifty RTTs, and twenty of them would have people with unpainted models scoring top three. That's fair. Um, uh, one thing I will say on it that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way is um, is uh, you know, already comment sections in everywhere. Um, start saying that this is why I don't go to 40k tournaments. You know, this is this is what you get when you go to an event. These are the players you play with. It's pay to win. Use all the yada yada yada. Um, <laughs> it's wait a minute. It, wait, hold on. It, the 3D printed tanks are pay, are to, pay win. to win. If you, if you buy Forge World, you know it's. It, yeah, I actually I know. did it's... read. I actually did read that comment. It's really funny because, anyway, the point is, is um, you know, things like this do set 40k tournament 40k back a little. Um, I don't care about the people who don't go to tournaments. You know, they're they're never going to go to tournaments. They're always going to find something that makes them say, "This is why I don't go to tournament." Well, whatever, right? Like those guys, we you know, I don't cater to them. They, they don't go to tournaments. That's fine. That's their deal. But it's the people, the fringe people, that I really worry about. The people who who don't talk in comments and read these sections and see those kind of models and see these things, uh, and then they maybe it makes them shy away from it. And then they maybe move to different games. They quit forty k altogether. They don't go to tournaments. They go down different paths, you know, and that ultimately does hurt us. Um, so all that I ask is if you go online and if you're on these comment sections, you know, just be an ambassador for Tournament 40K. If you're listening to this podcast, you're already one and, and just go in there and just defend Tournament 40K. This isn't, this is an RTT, you know, this is an anomaly. It's not something that happens all the time. It's an RTT where this would be perfectly okay. And if you go, if you were to go to a bigger event or if you're go to most 40K tournaments, this is not an experience you would yeah, have. Like, yes. I agree with the you know. spirit of what you're saying, but the the crowd of people that go from article to article and picture to picture and say, this is why I don't go to tournaments. Those those people, there's no reaching them. No, okay, I agree. There's, there's, they're like, they've been around for 20 years and they're looking for just, it's not even, it's the weirdest thing because they're literally on like the competitive Facebook group and they say <laughs> that. So it's like someone who's like, I don't like horror movies. They said sitting in their third horror movie they saw that week, and it's like, do you want to be the victim? Do you want people to be like to engage mm. with you in this weird negative circle jerk where you're like, 
What are you talking about? Some of the greatest times ever. Look at those models and tell me that's the greatest time ever. It's like, dude, yeah. get the fuck <laughs> off the internet. Like, go walk your yeah. dog. You know, do whatever it is you're going to do. But, like, those people just want to be upset. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very small population of people, by the way. There are people that don't post that see that and do feel bad. So I do agree with, like, the ethos of what you're saying where it's like, this is an RTT. It's silly. It went a little bit viral because of how little effort this person put into it. It's 3D printed neon green on cardboard bases with some of the guns missing. Like that's about any, and they won, right? If they lose, nobody gives a shit, but they won. So it's like, it's pretty silly. But guys, this took place in North Carolina. Okay. This guy actually got into his pickup truck, drove back to his, no, I'm just kidding. That joke, (laughs) by the way, you get me in a lot of trouble with one guy in Texas. But um, the point (laughs) I'm trying to make is more like, it's a weird anomalous, silly thing. And it sometimes gets more backlash because there's people looking for this shit anyways. Yeah, I I put this whole thing firmly on the, you know, manufacturing outrage, finding something to be angry about exactly. rather than so, any like because the actual negative experience that this guy may be caused at the tournament was like in an absolute worst case scenario, three people had a mildly bad day. Yeah. Hmm. All right, so don't don't worry about the crazies, but yeah, if you want to post something in there to keep the discussion a little and, more rational. Well, and also, just don't pay attention to this stuff. Don't click on sites that post it. Ignore it. It's not worth your time. It's not interesting. It doesn't advance the hobby or the the game in any way. And we've talked about this, too. In your local meta, there's tournaments that have paint requirements. And if they don't, and you reach out and say, hey... I'm more into the hobby side. Do you think you could consider instituting a painting requirement or something like that? Because that's what really brings joy to me. You're going to get a very even keel answer where they're going to be like, hey, I understand that, but this is an entry-level tournament. We're trying to get people involved and grow the community. But check out this other tournament where we do that. Like, it's such a nice... Like, everyone's like-minded and loves the shit out of these little toy soldiers. So it's it's such a good experience. It's when people, like, sit at home and behind their keyboard and get weird about it that it gets weird. And there's a lot of those people, to be fair, but... It's such a. It's just not a problem. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So so Nick actually asked three questions, and um, I, I think <laughs> I kind of understand the spirit of this three questions. So so um, I'm gonna ask the last one. So how do you protect against the temptation to just give in on disputes when meeting and playing against someone who is more famous than you are, and in some cases might be a TO on an event you'll attend later? And then his other his other one question was like, how do you deal with new TOs you've never met before? So this this kind of question revolves around how do you deal with with people like uh brandon grant or maybe you're, you're maybe you're playing someone with a little bit more of a reputation right so you you know how do you deal with with people like that when you go into it so let's say you know who these people are they might be a to of uh, one event which some of them are um uh and and how do you deal with with you know that that pressure when you're like someone who, who is less well known someone who doesn't attend tournaments and you know you're new Go ahead, Sean. I mean, uh, I was gonna, I was actually gonna kind of push this one because I know this is a thing that Jeff has talked about a lot of times: is advocating for yourself as a player, yep. um, standing up for your rights. And I am one hundred percent in Jeff's corner on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. It's we we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier when we were talking about going to tournaments, but like Brandon Grant and Nick Notavati and Don Hoosen and Rich Kilton and all these other like famous names of forty k, they're guys exactly like you. And are they really good at the game? Yeah, sure. They they played it a lot. They know a lot. But 
that doesn't mean they get every rule right. That doesn't mean they know everything about every army. Um, it, I, every time I, I've talked to these guys, there's things I've corrected them on. There's things they've corrected me on. Um, don't be afraid to argue your case if you feel that you're right. And don't feel obligated to like fold up just because the world's best 40k player is sitting across the table from you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. This is one of my... I appreciate I this is like one of my favorite speeches or things to talk about because I think it's empowering and important for people at all the different levels. Uh, protect your fun at the table. Like the, the perfect game of Warhammer between two individuals has probably never been played. And if it has, it took nine, 19 hours and a lot of phone calls and books and <laughs> stuff that's ridiculous. Like very intelligent people, uh, hyper competitive people that play way more Warhammer than anybody else still get rules wrong. And I know because I'm one of them, right? Like I, I, I get corrected by people who who the fuck are you? And they're like, well, it's this. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you're right. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, but then also there's interpretation and there's just a negotiation that goes back and forth. So I used to be way more intense, if you can believe it. And I used to be way more hardcore because I'm extremely confident in what I believe to know. Um, and I think that created more intense uh, situations than I would like. I, I You want to feel like you beat someone within the rules of the game. You don't want to feel like they conceded a bunch of points and you bent them over and, and, and made them lose like that's maybe some people want that but i personally think that that doesn't give you the same feel of like i won that's we played at the game and i was the better player that's awesome it's more of a like okay i can calm down i just bullied that guy into a loss great you know like that's that's not cool so i found it to be really important with how you communicate there's some players will be like i feel really strongly about this but instead of saying that they're like no it's this it is it is it is it is and they're interrupting they're like yelling at you then it gets really bad State your case. Be like, I'm pretty sure it's this. Let's check. Whatever. You're having yeah. like a terrain discussion. Be like, well, hey, we didn't define terrain beforehand. We probably should have. It sounds like you were kind of counting on one thing. I was counting on something else. Do you feel like we can dice off or talk about, a, you know, some middle ground here? And if you're like, I don't like your shoes. You're an idiot. And you're like, well, I'm going to call a judge now. It sounds like we're not talking about this. So let's just try to get some mediation. Like, just constantly vouch for yourself, but be willing to be wrong is, is the other part here, too. Which yeah. it took me years to learn that. Uh I played Sean early on, and there's probably more than one or two arguments that we got into where I think I eventually conceded a few times, but I probably also white-knuckled the shit out of a few just because I was stubborn <laughs> and thought I was right, you know? Uh, and oh, sometimes yeah. you are right. That's the other kind of funny thing, too, is, and this is, I guess, more to the question. Sometimes people will be like, well, I'm playing a famous guy. He must know better than me. I've had that experience a ton. It doesn't necessarily mean you concede everything. But it does mean you, again, represent yourself and have that conversation. Because if you're pretty sure about something, check the book. If it's a weird conversation about something you guys didn't check, well, Warhammer etiquette dictates, then it's not who argues the best here. It's Who's what right? are the rules of the, of the pamphlet say for the tournament? If that doesn't clear it up, then ask a judge. They'll have to be the one that kind of decides for the two of you, right? So yeah. there's all kinds of ways to escape getting lockjawed about something. But it's how you handle it that'll dictate how much fun you're going to have moving forward. If you concede everything, you feel like you're having a bad time and your opponent's cheating against you, you're probably going to have a shitty time. And that sucks. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then how do you deal with new TOs you've never met before? Um, I think that's real simple. I think you just you listen to what they, you know, just listen to what yeah, they do. I don't, I don't think that you don't need to do yeah. anything particularly yeah. special. Like, maybe you have to ask a question about your army. It's like, hey, my local tournament rules it this way. What do you guys do for this yep. situation? Yeah. Uh, but simple. beyond that, like, 
you know, you should, you probably won't have most tournaments, especially now that like the community has grown and become a lot more outreaching or like they, they know where all the like weird corner cases are and there's way less of the kind of like tournaments doing things their own way, every different location you go to. And by yeah. the way, dude, TOs, like we like Warhammer people, right? TOs are people that like Warhammer so much that they will nominate themselves to stand in front of 15 or 20 or 500 shitheads and be like, I'm the guy that you get to ask questions to. <laughs> they love the game that much, which nope. means they're probably super awesome people and are very well-intentioned because they're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for the fame. There's, there's, you know, that's yeah. not why you go into TOing. So I like this question, but I want to take this opportunity to be like, you're in good hands. 99% of TOs are good people that want to put on a fun event and want everyone to be happy. That's actually where it comes from. Yeah. Obviously, there are horror stories and there are bad experiences. It happens, but anything involving humans, that's what happens. So you're, you're narrowing the specifications down to less likely because wherever people are generally intelligent, you like the same stuff and they want you to have a good time. So can bad stuff happen? Yes. Is it likely? It's less likely. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, Ian, Ian wants to know, do you prefer to stay in the hotel? The event is in nearest possible hotel or stay off site? Close as um, possible. That's cool. Yeah. I was just about to say that. I mean, yes. Although for me, price is more of an issue because I go to a lot of tournaments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, paying an extra 50 bucks to stay at the hotel over the course of the year adds up to 500 or a thousand dollars. So it, it depends a lot on what the price difference is for me. Yeah. Ian, my, my personal preference is splitting a room with as many people that I enjoy yep. as possible, as comfortably can fit in a room as close as possible to the event. That is, that is always going to be my preference always. Yeah. If money is not as big of an obstacle for you, I think a lot of people that travel to tournaments, they go to like one or two a year and they're probably, a fairly established person that has disposable income. I really strongly recommend you check out supporting the hotel that the event is at is nine times out of 10. Yeah. They did a deal with that venue where if they can sell out those rooms or at least show the hotel or the venue that business is coming in, if you do stuff with us, that's good. Um, obviously yeah. if, if budget issues are a concern or you travel to a lot of terms like Sean does, it's different, right? So maybe you do ha have to find a cheaper option. Uh, but for some of you other folks that can afford it, please try to afford it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Vic George or George Vic Vuk Vuk. You're nailing it right now. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> v U K Vuk uh, wants to know. <laughs> he's, in, he's one of your, yeah, he's in the Patreon best recommendation show. for cases for traveling via plane. Uh, he's going to his first LVO. Congratulations in 2020. No idea where to start. Um, best recommendations for cases. Uh, I don't, I don't know. A lot. I ha actually, I have, through the second-hand shop, I have a lot of experience with a lot of different cases, um, but I don't know brands. So just go for the one that your army fits in that's the most malleable. Don't, don't worry so much about it being sturdy and, and big and bulky. You know, like, like uh, you know, you don't want to travel with a vault. You want to travel with, like, as close to a bag as you can with foam in it. That's I use best. army transport. Yeah, and it, I got it yeah. like I think seven years ago or yep. six years ago, and it has not failed me a single time. I, I also have an yeah. army transport case. Our army transport is what I use. Kr is also very good. Yeah, I know a lot of people like battle foam. I do not. Uh, but that said, 
a lot of people do, so I can't say don't use it. Honestly, the differences between them are probably not all that large, yeah. um, especially when you are carrying it on like that. They're all going to perform relatively similar functions. Yeah. Uh, there is also one that, that I see people travel with that, in my opinion, you should never travel with, um, but I can't say it on here, so just if you really want to know about <laughs> that one, uh, message me, and I can tell you, well, but I can't say it on calling here. calling them out. No, no they're... they're it, yeah, it's, I know what you're talking about. It's not it's, for yeah, it's not it's not for personal. It's like just literally because of like it could be any of the brands. I'd say the same thing just because of the way it's designed. Um, but uh, you know, I just yeah. Anyways, so yeah. What else? All right, uh, and then um, Owen wants to know: Have we ever had any issue with metal models and carry on? Um, he he's the one time he did flew to a tournament with metal models. He didn't have a problem. Uh, I've never personally had any problems with metal models. They break more, but. Uh, metal models are not generally an issue. Um, the, the scanners will typically be able to tell that they are solid metal, and that's not a thing. Resin, I have heard of people having problems with, although I have never myself had an issue with it. Uh, but I was I, I heard a horror story of a, a dude who brought a big resin Forge World thing through security, and I guess they thought something was up with it, and they wanted him to take it apart, um, which obviously he was not super thrilled about. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, this last one is for Jeff, though I, I want to know the answer to it as well, and I have a little follow-up to it. But hey, Jeff, what's your opinion in Innovation saying Terran have absolutely no way to win in this meta, and he is essentially just lucky? Thanks. And Jeff... I've been following Innovation a long time. Did he actually say that? Because I, I couldn't find it. And I was like, oh, did he really say that? That's curious. I probably said something like that. The professional StarCraft players are the whiniest people in the, in the world. Um, <laughs> Innovation is like experiencing tremendous success and is incredibly talented, but he's not dominating or something like that. So Didn't he just beat Serral like in March? Like after, you know. Yeah, but in StarCraft terms, that might as well have been a thousand years ago. Oh, yeah. okay. I see. Oh, well. Terran's proposed to get some buffs. They just uh, have patch notes that came out today, so the whining is well-received. We'll see. Right on. Cool. Yeah, no. The innovation... Of, but anyways, enough StarCraft talk. So, um, uh, that's it. That's it, guys. Uh, if you liked the content... Uh, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics consider supporting us uh it really helps out the podcast a lot it helps me out uh and it also helps me to help fund people like sean to fly out to events so um if you know if you want to if you want more hosts to go to different places that they've ever been canada australia you know wherever consider helping us out uh, if we hit 200 patrons it'll become a lot easier to do um and then of course go to frontlinegaming.org Check out the secondhand shop. Check out Sean on In the Finest Hour. And check out Jeff on Twitch and Control TV. And 40kstats.com. Listen to 40k Stats Center tomorrow. And yeah. that's it. Uh, thank you very much. You guys are the best listeners ever. And have a good one.